Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 67. I'm Raka, and with me, joining me this week, is Ryan, Zeb, and Michael. And, along with him, is Martin Wimpress, somebody everybody should know about. Welcome, Martin. Hello. Thank you for welcoming me back on your show again. Well, you were here in episode 15, I believe it was. Yep. Almost, I guess it was over a year ago. It's almost a year to the day. And it was our most popular, single most popular YouTube video out there. Yeah. <laughs> you want the record? Get in. In your face, Ike Doherty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So everybody should know you, but for those that don't, you are the project lead for Ubuntu Mate. Yep. You're the community manager and the core developer for the Mate desktop. Yes. You work as a maintainer for the packages, and besides being a regular in the Linux Unplugged podcast mumble room, you're also a co-presenter on the Ubuntu podcast. I am. So, the first question has to be, now, you've met Ryan, right? We are acquainted. We are acquainted. Okay, so did you really tell Ryan to... RTFM? Yeah. <laughs> and Martin. how good did that really feel? <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, is it should feel better than probably you're portraying it. But the fact of the matter is, nobody reads the documentation. <laughs> nobody <laughs> reads the notes. So Ryan is in good company there of the vast majority of people. Um, so yeah, yeah, Ryan did, did ask me a couple of questions and I, I, uh, Politely answered them and then also directed him to the, the documentation. <laughs> so you basically told him to what RTFM. Documentation in Ubuntu Mate now, right? Cause we've got Ubuntu Mate welcome, which is where I directed Ryan. And since 1710, we've had the Ubuntu Mate guide. Uh, and that's authored by Larry Bushy. And that's a doc that's built into the OS. And then Larry has also written two books. He's written a book about migrating from Windows and Mac OS. Mm-hmm to Marte, and another book that's uh, a, a complete guide to everything to do with uh, Ubuntu Marte and all the default applications that we ship. So there is no shortage of do- documentation. What there is a shortage of is people that's prepared to sit down and read it. Well, in fairness now, the most documentation in distros is horrible. But when I went to the documentation for Marte, it was fantastic and actually not only answered the questions that I had, but gave you the exact keys that you need to utilize, the ways to change it. Like it was all encompassed there. But usually I think a lot of people probably avoid the documents because they're so bad. But you guys have done all this work to make them so great and people still just assume like, I'm not going to read that thing because they, you know, the other distros but, don't do it. Yeah, well. It makes sense. When, in this case, the RTFM is read the fantastic manual. There you go. That's what you meant, right, Martin, when you said that with yeah, that emojicon with the middle fingers up? That's exactly what I meant. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> So speaking of, we mentioned that you were on the episode uh, 15 back in April 2017. Uh, so it's been a year since you were in here, almost. What have you been up to in the past year that you'd like to uh, that What Ubuntu Mate, not specifically just Ubuntu Mate, but anything? Well... So Ubuntu Mate does occupy the vast majority of my spare time. Um, uh, anyone that's involved in a distribution will be able to tell you it's just a massive time sink. So most of my t- spare time, that's where it goes. But 
um at work i um i switched roles so i think last time i was here i was on the ubuntu desktop team and i'm now in the snapcraft team so that was a, a personal change for me uh and then in terms of sort of geeking out with other linux nerds other than the four of you um <laughs> i've been to uh, linux fest northwest uh yeah. boss talk live uh in london last year uh og camp in canterbury uh, in the UK last year, and I went to UbuCon Europe in Paris, and then a couple of canonical events as well. So I've been fortunate; I've been able to travel around uh, and meet meet uh, sort of members of the Linux community, sort of face to face at the various events. Nice. Um, yeah, and then in uh, in October uh, last year, so as we were wrapping up what was the end of the seventeen ten release. Uh, Alan Pope introduced me to Rust, the game. Oh, <laughs> and, um, a, a whole month of my life uh, just got invested in playing Rust. So I did a whole wipe of Rust. Uh, and as a result, I ended up with a gaming mouse and a specially adapted keyboard for my right <laughs> Yes, I love And it. a mouse, mouse called Bungie and a whole load of, of additional paraphernalia in order that I was better at this game. Yeah. So did you all create your own server on Rust or did you just join one of the public servers? Uh, yeah, no, there's, um, so there's the gaming on Linux community. They run a number of online servers and one is a Rust server and we, and we play there. Nice. So it's relatively small. There's probably, well, at that time there was, a maximum of about 50 or so people and they've got a discord channel. So literally, um, at lunch breaks and as soon as I finished work in the evening, logged on to discord, logged on to rust, uh, and then had a chat with all of the, um, all the Linux nerds on the uh, gaming on Linux server and then shot them in the face with bows and arrows and things. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys are going to, uh, self in a few months. So yeah. what, what is your favorite? to go to uh oh wow um that's really tough i enjoy them all um i i think i enjoy them all for the same reason and that's that um you're among people that speak your language you know you're among people that understand what linux is and you don't have to go through that well it's kind of like you know windows and Mac <laughs> you know everyone has got the same you know the same level of understanding mm-hmm. and you all just want to talk about the thing that you're passionate about. So it doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've been to them in America now and all across Europe and in the UK, and that's a consistent thing. And I like them all for different reasons. I, so know, why I'm, is the American ones the best ones? Uh, well, I've only been to one American one, and it, it wasn't the best one. It was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're, all, they're all different events, right? Um, Linux Fest Northwest is much, much bigger than any of the other events I've been to, and I, I think that's sort of uh, an Americanism right there. You know, it has to be bigger than everything else. <laughs> Pretty um, much, naturally. Yeah, um, but I, I really enjoy Og Camp. That's quite a small event, and that grew up from the Linux podcasting scene in the UK. So I really enjoy that one. Uh, and then the other one that I'm really starting to love, in fact, I do love it, it's UbuCon Europe, and I'm going to my third one of those. In fact, I'm going next week. I will be doing the release of Ubuntu Mate from UbuCon. Uh, okay. And I really like that one because now I've got um, a, a good band of friends from across Europe, and I get to see them, you know, maybe once or twice a year at one of these events. And it's as much a social event as it is, you know, getting up and giving talks and listening to talks from other people. It's a, a real nice mix of, tech and geekery and just hanging out and having some beers with your friends so i can't wait to get back to uh the next ubicon 
Superb. Um, just a quick one. I noticed you mentioned a couple of those in the UK. Mm-hmm. Is there like a, a list of things, events that happen for the UK? Um, well, the Ubuntu podcast, we did used to do lots of, you know, trying to keep a track of the various events, but it was a lot of work. The big corporate ones, yes, those tend to be on Lanyard and opensource.com and things like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of these things you have to know about. I mean, one that I've never been to that I want to go to in the UK is Wuthering, Wuthering Bites mm-hmm. uh, up in the north. And that's another, it's, it's a, a week long event. Um, and each wow. day has a different theme. And that, that always looks really interesting. It's, you just have to know about these things. Are you going to be coming to Wog Camp? If I knew where it was and when it was, then yeah. Uh, could be. Right, okay. Well, ogcamp.org and, uh, you'll find all the details. It's in August this year, I believe. And, uh, where is it? It's somewhere, somewhere in the north. I forget where it is. I've, I've booked my ticket. I'm going, but I forget where it is. But Og Camp is a great event. Uh, really good fun. Okay. I'll have a look at that. Thank you. That. Yeah. And also closer to where you are, uh, Foss Talk Live in London in June. Mm-hmm. That's where all the, the Linux and open source podcasters get together and we have a, a, an afternoon stroke evening of, uh, doing, uh, shows in air quotes, uh, <laughs> where we get on stage and, uh, you know, do a dog and pony show for half an hour each, uh, whilst consuming, you know, beer and eating pub food. So it's in the cellar of a pub in London. That's a really good fun event as well. I mean, try to be on the first, the first group of doing the show. Yeah. So you don't have to do all the yeah, beer. La- last year, last year, I, we, Mark and I were doing a competition, uh, and neither of us knew what each other was doing. And Popey had set this whole competition up. <laughs> and I realized I'd had too many beers because I couldn't, re- I couldn't remember anything about my program that I'd written. So I'm there and I'm like, well, um, yeah, I just can't remember how this works. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it four weeks ago. <laughs> Well, Ogg Camp yeah, seems I, to be uh Saturday and Sunday, August 18th and 19th in Sheffield. Yes, Sheffield. There we go. That's where it is. Yes, Sheff- Sheffield Hallam University, I think it is. Yeah. So, so, so during this year, you've obviously done, as you said, a lot of work um, on Marte and and over the previous years. What are some of your favourites that you've brought to the masses with the Marte desktop? Uh, well, I suppose Ubuntu Marte itself. Um, the, it, it, it's got weird origins and everyone knows the origin story of how that started with, uh, Popey and I. What some people don't realize is, is that I had made a Mate desktop OS based on Arch just a few months previous to starting Ubuntu Mate. And I made that as a demo for a presentation that we gave at FOSDEM in uh, 2014. And that was the first time in a long time I'd actually stitched together a desktop operating system of my own. Mm-hmm. So in the week that I hurriedly knocked that together, I learned quite a lot. And so when it came to actually making Ubuntu Mate, uh, it eased the path. But the reason that I was making this thing on Arch is that the, the then leader of Upstream Mate said he wanted Mate OS, like this standout, reference version of the best that Marte could be that we could Mm -hmm. showcase. Mm -hmm. And that's what this live CD was that I made based on Arch. And I suppose that that idea stuck with me. And when I started making Ubuntu Marte, it was like, this has to be like the, the best version of the Marte desktop. So consequently 
it's not a pure implementation of the Mate desktop. I, I have broadened the scope of what we do and some of the technologies we use in order to um, make it better. <laughs> right. do, you, do you keep the originals of these programs that you had? Do you still have them that you could boot them up? I've got a feeling that that live ISO for Arch may be on the matedesktop.org website still, but that's <laughs> huh. four years old. So it's probably based on Mate 1.6 or 1.8, wow. but it's out there. Um, yeah, I think it's still on the website. I think so. Very cool. So yeah. you started your Linux journey with distros like Crux, Slackware, you played with Red Hat, Fedora, um, obviously developing Mate, which you were playing in Arch for a while. So based on this, we know now that you've not found the cure for distro hopping because you at least at some point were a distro hopper. Um, well, hmm. <laughs> I'll get to that. Go on. Uh, so <laughs> when you're developing Mate, though, do you look at other people's work, such as, you know, distro hopping at all to look at what they're doing in different distributions or desktop environments to say, hey, that's a really good idea. I think I'm going to take some of that. Yeah. So first of all, uh, I've never really been a distro hopper. Uh, you can list off lots of distros that I've used. But then again, I've been using Linux for 24 years now. So, you know, I've had a lot of time to stick with all of those distros for some years at a time. Gotcha. So I've, uh, with the exception of Fedora, which I only used for six months, all of them have been a multi-year stints that I've had with each of those distros. Uh, and the absolute cure for distro hopping is make your own distro. <laughs> <laughs> that, solves, that makes sense. That solves that problem. Yeah. You. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, I mostly... Uh, I watch, uh, people reviewing distros on YouTube to get a sense of what the distros are doing, uh-huh. which is good and bad because, uh, a lot of the people that review distros don't dig into things very deeply and it's all a bit sort of, uh, sort of surface level stuff and they're, and they're mm-hmm. not aware of all of the nuances and things that are going on in distros, but you can get a sense for, you know, what's going on. And I get some tips from that. I, I run a lot of distros in VMs for work. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got distros of all of the distros that you could think up off in your head in the next 10 seconds. I've got VMs of all of those, and I use those on almost a daily basis. Hannah Montana Linux? Those, sorry? Hannah Montana Linux included in there? Uh, well, that is the first VM I boot every morning. Followed mainly by Rebecca Black. When, when we're testing Snapcraft on all of the distros, we start with Hannah Montana Linux and then open SUSE, and then we, we work up to the more popular distributions. I love it. Or love down it. from the most popular, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Ubuntu Mate specifically. Um, okay. What are some of the improvements that you're most excited for the users to see? Oh, wow. What, for 1804? Yeah, 1804, yeah. Uh, so some of it sounds like stuff you've seen before, but it's been a long time sort of bringing it all together. But... If you, if you look at all of the layouts that we have now, and in particular, the mutiny layout, mm-hmm. and actually doing mutiny right, that it is sort of a really close, um, approximation to what Unity 7 offered, that has triggered off just a ton of work in lots of different places. From th- simple things, what you would imagine are simple things like super key support. So binding something to the super key, lots of things can do that. But what you'll find is as soon as you bind something to just the super key, then you can't use the super key in any other shortcut combinations because Mm. 
that super key has been swallowed by whatever you've bound it to. So mm. in order to pass that event through the whole stack, we had to touch the window manager, the settings daemon, brisk menu needed customization, the Marte menu needed it, the Marte dock applet needed it, the, the HUD needed it. There was a whole bunch of stuff where just managing using modifier keys as action keys was a ton of work. Uh, and it's like nothing that you would ever appreciate as an end user, but that was six months of work just doing that. And then, that, you know, we need improvements to the global menu um, to do the global menus right. Mm-hmm. You know, global menus now support, you know, Firefox and Mozilla and LibreOffice. They all implement their own menu models differently from how, you know, the rest of the desktop toolkits do. And then we, you know, have Qt support and obviously GTK support. So having global menus that work across all of those toolkits in the same way that they do with Unity, that was a, a ton of work. Um, in 1804, we've added a new feature, which is uh, window applets. And what this now means is when you, when you're in like the Munity, uh, Munity, listen to me, Mutiny or, um, uh, the netbook layout, when you maximize a window now, it removes the window controls completely and it then positions the maximize, minimize and close buttons in the panel. So it gives you that ability to maximize the amount of screen space you're using. Nice. That's so nice. that was a change. That's one of my favorite things about you know, in order because you know, we did 1710 and we were like, this is really great. And then the first feedback was, mm, well, when I maximize windows <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then indicators we're using, uh, what people will recognize as the Ubuntu indicators now throughout. Um, so they're default and on by default in all of the layouts now. Uh, and then things like the Mate dock applet. Uh, that's now got super key switching, uh, just like Unity. So you have your, your panel of bits down the side, uh, and you can do super one to foreground or launch the first icon in the panel or super two to do yep. the second. Uh, it, it's, um, icon matching as well. So it now uses the BAMP library. So it does better icon matching because it used to be a, a best guess as to which icon it would display for an application. And sometimes you'd have Firefox open and then the icon attributed to it was for some random application. So we fixed all of that stuff. So, you know, those are, those are really cool stuff in terms of the layouts. They're all really authentic now, I think. My feeling is anyway. Um, but then the real killer feature, and this is not going to be super relevant for a lot of people today, but I think over the lifetime of this LTS, it will become more relevant. And that's the high DPI support that we have now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is a standout feature. I th- think we've done a really bang up job in the implementation um auto not, detection is nice yeah it's auto detection all the way through i mean the, the level of the level of detail that we've gone to here um, not that you see it for very long these days but you'll be familiar with the plymouth bootloader we get the logos yep that's high dpi aware the display manager the thing that you log on with that's high dpi aware the desktop is high DPI aware. So automatically all of those things do the right thing when they're on a high DPI display. Um, even down to the X cursors. So the icons for the mouse pointer and all the rest of it, they're high DPI aware with high DPI, high DPI scale factors. So we've really gone into that a lot. And because we're not, because we're realistic about people, how people use their computers, when we detect that high DPI is available, we pass through the hints to Qt 
to tell Q, you're in a scaled environment now. So consequently, when you start VLC or Caden Live or OBS in Mate in a high DPI environment, those applications have been passed the correct scaling hints. And in Ubuntu Mate, we also pass through all of the toolkit integrations. So all of those applications look like any other application on the desktop. They are all seamlessly mm-hmm. integrated. And I think that's a little, a little bit of thoughtfulness and a bit of polish that some people should just be taking for granted. And people mm-hmm. that have been around for a while in the Linux community will go, Hmm, that's nice. That just worked. I didn't have to figure <laughs> out that. So yeah. That's certainly one of the things that jumped out at me because I've got a a high DPI monitor and I open up XFCE and I've got this mouse cursor that's like that side. (laughs) I opened up Marte and I've got this nice little normal sized cursor and it, as you say, it just works. So tiny little feature, but obviously an awful lot of work that's gone into the background. Yeah. Well, I would even say it's a, it's a major feature because you have new people. I mean, Linux is getting more and more popular and at what scale we don't know, but we know it's getting more popular. You can just feel it in the amount of people interested in it. And as they are taking their newer machines and going with their latest stuff from Windows to Linux, if they've got a big cursor this big when they boot into Linux, they're going to be like, Okay, yeah. why do people use this again? Uh, yeah. So for new users, this is a huge thing that when they install, you know, their their distribution, they've got Mate, they're going to have this experience like they would have on other operating systems they may be coming from. It's super important and keep not only bringing people to the to Linux, but also keeping them there because uh, yeah. they're not going to spend the time to play with that or as Martin would tell them to RTFM. <laughs> always, always, always read the fine manual. Well, in Mate Tweak, there's a toggle for high DPI mode between auto detection and regular scaling for scaling. What exactly is that for? It's for Linus Torvalds. <laughs> he, 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 has, he has famously rejected the uh, the whole idea of uh, pixel doubling and pixel scaling. He's absolutely incandescent that you would buy this thing with massive resolution and then pixel double everything and then destroy the resolution. For, so that's there for, for Linus. <laughs> Uh, when he un- wants to unlock the full resolution of his display on his XPS 13. Um, but you know, it has, pr- it has practical value. You may want to do it. Um, I really hope it says that in the manual. This is just for Linus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make sure we add that now. Well, going back to the, the layouts, the default layout now has been changed. So you're now running with a, the one called familiar. And mm-hmm. that's a that's a change. How was that change taken, and uh, why? Why would you change it? Right. Okay. So this this is something that a lot of people have been asking for, um, and it's also something that personally I've been wanting to get to. Um, when Ubuntu Mate sixteen oh four came out, it solved the problem that I had at the time, which was my family were wanting a Linux distribution that was familiar to them having used Linux for many years and they were rejecting, you know, all the modern stuff like um, uh, Unity 7 and GNOME 3. So that was fine, but I found it still clunky and cumbersome to use. Um, so I wanted to bring some modern touches to the Mate desktop. And Ike created the Brisk menu and through some collaboration there, we've been able to add the features that I felt were necessary to sort of refine that. So familiar is basically very simple. It is the traditional layout, the two panel layout that everyone recognizes from Ubuntu Mate, 
but the applications places system goes away and brisk menu gets dropped in uh, instead. And that is literally the only change. So it's like in terms of the layout, it's four lines of code. You know, that's, that's the change that's present. Um, a lot of people through, you know, when I look at the different social feedback in, you know, Facebook and Google plus and Twitter and our own community, um, lots of people were asking for, you know, super key menu activation by default. And we tried to solve that in 1604 by bundling, uh, synapse, but that was a control space activation. You know, it wasn't. And also people coming to Linux from other platforms, they just expect super key to do something. Yeah. So that was really why I wanted to do it. Uh, it's been extremely well received. By and large, people are very happy with it. But of course, some people, I've moved people's cheese for some people and they're, they're not happy about it. Um, you know, there's a couple of people in the Ubuntu Marta community who've been very vocal about this change. Then, then they, they were not, not happy with the change, but the traditional layout is still there. You know, it's still in Marte tweak. It's a couple of clicks away. And if that's, how you want to use your computer and, you know, muscle memory over many years of using your computer that way, then it's there and you can carry on just yeah. as before. But I think as a default, defaults are king. This is a better default. Um, I agree. Particularly people that are, I think for this 1804 release, there's going to be a lot of people who have been using Unity for many years, but that option's gone away. People that have been using GNOME or have tried GNOME and maybe it's not for them, have tried other operating systems where super key is the way to go i think this is the time where people are going to be trying this version out and that is a button that has to do what people expect it to do mm-hmm. yeah. i actually uh, i would have gone a little farther with the like the pantheon interface like the mm. you know, or the cupertino uh layout yeah. but i think i think the familiar is a nice compromise for the people who want the traditional but also some more modern features yeah like, uh, so uh, i did i did make a case to the community about using uh pantheon as the default. Uh, and we had a lot of backwards and forwards about that and it was clear, but that's, that, that's actually pretty much what I use. I use a, a version of the layout that I've slightly customized. I have plank, I have brisk, I have brisk with the dash launcher now. So that's another change in 1804. If you enable the uh, mutiny layout or the Cupertino layout and you bring up the menu, you now get this dash overlay style mm. rather than the, the drop down menu. And I much prefer that, especially on the laptop, because it's a touch-friendly thing, and I've got mm-hmm. touch yeah. displays, yep. so I can just whiz through and bob bob on the screen. It's it's quite nice. Very cool. So yeah. the one thing we you know overlook that there are users still on Mate sixteen oh four yet, so they're just now getting these, or just will be getting these if they upgrade eighteen oh four. The new changes in Mate one point twenty point one. Mm-hmm. So we talked about a couple of them like high DPI and the way I feel about it is high DPI is not, I don't, it's not nothing I would use, but it's something that has to be there in mm-hmm. order for it to be a looked at as a operating system that everybody could use. Yep. Uh, you just mentioned the brisk menu having that uh, launcher style dashboard. That is absolutely awesome. Uh, I got to say. So uh, the welcome screen is also got some changes to it. So you got new animations, you got new transitions and you got a new browser selection for your web browser. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome and boutique are kind of interesting because they've sort of been on hiatus for about a year now. Um, because in order to get the desktop where it, where I wanted to get it, 
I really had to focus all of my time and energy on all of those details that we discussed earlier. You know, there's a lot of moving parts there and it has been a year long journey to really sort of integrate all of that. So welcome is effectively the old version because we've got a new version in development, which nobody has seen yet. Wow. <laughs> and is lots better. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at is co- kind of like the old version with a few tweaks and nuances added and what have you. So we have browser selection. I think that's important because choice of browser is a very personal thing and there are half a dozen high profile browsers that you could be using and they should all be presented to you. So that's a button now. You can fat finger that, choose the browser that you want and set it as default all through one, one place in, in welcome. Um, yeah, we've sped up the animations and things mostly because they were kind, they're cool, they're nice looking, but they used to be a bit like, if you're using Welcome a lot, it's like, oh, I've got to wait. It's like a game with like FMV video in the middle of it. It's yes. like, I don't want to see, don't want to see the man running. <laughs> Get on with the damn You know, so we've, we've made all of those animations a lot more snappy and fluid. So, uh, that's another change. Um, we've ramped, revamped everything that's in the store. So we've, we've removed some things and tidied some things up. And actually, as we record this, there is another new feature, <laughs> which no one will have seen yet. And that's that we've, uh, hooked up the integration with the, um, telemetry reports that Ubuntu can now do so that if you've done a fresh install or an upgrade, uh, welcome will now detect that you have a telemetry report available and prompt you to, um, either submit or not submit that to the project. Nice. And that will be extremely useful to us for making decisions about, you know, what hardware and platform support we want to invest in and, you know, what GPU devices are generally used, all sorts of stuff like that. You're going to have to keep an eye on the uh, Destination Linux Telegram group because once this episode hits, uh, we, we have a lot of distro hoppers that follow us. Everyone in mass is going to uh, be hitting up Mate as soon as this episode releases. That seems to be what happens when we have uh, guests. So you'll probably get a lot of interesting feedback. But two things that I absolutely was interested in enhancements was quarter window tiling, which is the window tiling is what you told me to RTFM about, uh, <laughs> which is very well done and handled within Mate. I love, I can run a window tiler just as my desktop. In fact, that's kind of a preference of mine. It's just I love the way they work. But with Mate, you guys have a lot of those shortcut keys in. You can do the tiling that you could with the window manager, but still have that beauty and, and ease of use of a regular desktop environment. And the second was the Mate terminal supporting background images. Now, this sounds like something, you know, like putting, uh, you know, like playing dress up, Barbie dress up or something like who would need that? But actually it becomes super important to have background images for you know, when you're doing things like multiple SSHs into different terminals and being able to determine, be able to recognize different terminals from each other when you are connecting yeah. to multiple machines and those type of things. So background images becomes more than just adding flair or putting a logo in the background. It actually allows you to differentiate between what you're connecting to. Yeah. Those two features stood out. It's fascinating, right? This background images thing. I wish I'd never put it in the release notes. So- <laughs> <laughs> I love well, it and you hate it. Man. No, no. Martin <laughs> Terminal has done it forever. But somewhere in the transition from GTK2 to GTK3, we were using one of the libraries incorrectly, and that feature stopped working for a couple of releases, and we fixed it. And I just happened to put it in in the like headline summary of stuff that 
was new as it now does background images. And I should have put again, but I did. <laughs> so it, it, we, we were just fixing a regression there. So we yeah, but now but, it works. You know. Yeah, now it works again. Yeah, yeah. but also you, you strike on a good point because I used to use them exactly like that for colorized terminals for mm-hmm. um, a, a, a user context and location context, the system I was logging into. And I've also heard from people in our community who are visually impaired, they use these high contrast backgrounds to actually help them um, distinguish the text. So they, they, mm-hmm. they use background, background images in that, in that way as well. Nice. Nice. Um, the hardware acceleration that you've now got in the Marco window manager, um, how difficult is it to work with Intel and AMD and NVIDIA to work out what you can utilize and how you can, you can put it in there and who's the easiest to work with, do you think? Uh, so the advantage that we have with Intel and AMD now is they're both open source drivers and they both use Dry3 and KMS. So they're all in the kernel and they're all using all, all of the uh, modern kernel features. So they just work, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, rather the acceleration uh, that's available in Marco just works with uh, Intel and AMD right now. It's all done. Uh, and it also works with the Nouveau open source drivers. Mm-hmm. And then the NVIDIA proprietary drivers use drive dry two and uh, not so much. And this is the problem that, you know, everyone has. So if you turn on the, uh, if you install the NVIDIA proprietary drivers as I have here, then uh, go into the NVIDIA settings and turn on the full compositing pipeline. And that's all good then. Oh, <laughs> but there, you know, there is no, there is no easy one, one click or automated solution for integrating with the NVIDIA stuff. Maybe one day we'll see them in you know, more closely align and i know they've had this aspiration and the the kernel team have basically denied them some of the uh the access that they've wanted uh to to integrate with a, a kernel level to make this easier so it's kind of difficult for them but yeah maybe one day <laughs> but so we also talked about earlier about the hud the new support for the hud um, I want to talk about that because the, the, like one of my favorite features in Unity was is the HUD. Absolutely, right. Like I, I as soon as they announced it, I immediately jumped onto it and used it for a very long time. And like it, the the way you do it in Mate or Ubuntu Mate is really interesting. So instead of doing like a global HUD, it's an individual application HUD. Mm-hmm. And w- what made you decide to like wanted to switch to that style? And like, how, how much do you think that the, they compare to each other, the HUD from Unity and the, and the one in Mutiny? Well, so the HUD, the HUD works is now an option in Mate Tweak. So you can tick a box and you can turn it on in any layout. As it happens, it works best when you've got the global menu enabled. It's a technical thing and post release something that I hope to address. So it works seamlessly everywhere. It works really well when you've got the global menu activated and it works most of the time in most places when you don't. So that's something I want to resolve. Now we experimented with originally we, we mimicked, you know, had it at the top mm-hmm. global thing, but I've got multiple displays and I'm on this screen here looking at this terminal and then I alt and suddenly the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the HUD appears on a different screen in a different location and your whole context changes. So I noticed it then. It's not such an issue when you're on a laptop or a single screen. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, hang on a minute, this is wrong. So <laughs> I took it. 
Uh, and basically the, the whole premise is now you're in the application. That's where your focus is. So when you hit alt to bring up the HUD, you don't have to switch. You don't have to look elsewhere. You're still focused on the same application in the same place. So mm-hmm. it's all about just, you know, keeping you concentrated on the thing that you're doing. In terms of their functionality and how you search for them, I think we have a, 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 a slightly better search algorithm for finding uh, what you want out of the menus really quickly. It uses Levinson uh, search algorithm, so it's really good for for picking things out of the list there. Um, but other, other than that, they are functionally equivalent. And like just about everything else, that is high DPI aware now. So when you... Um, when you bring that up on a high DPI screen, that, that scales correctly. And we also did some work that it interrogates the theme that's running and it automatically restyles itself based on the color attributes from your currently running theme. So as you switch themes around it, it will retheme itself dynamically. I love it. It's so one of those things that once you've used it, you're like, how do I ever... How, how did I manage without this? Especially like when I'm editing the podcast in Audacity, I can never remember where the damn filters are that we need. <laughs> and, you, know, you just mash alt and you start typing silence and then, you know, you, you just find everything you need so much quicker. Yep. Excellent. Um, two of the other things that were really good for me about the 1804 release, and I'm just wondering, uh, where it came from is you now get NVENC support out of the box as soon as you install the NVIDIA drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and OBS, you no longer have to add the PPA. Um, so was that right. a community thing that you noticed or did it come from uh, other directions? This is the benefit of being based on top of Debian. Um, both of those things were enabled through um, uh, Debian's current developments and they automatically get uh, synced into Ubuntu. I think there are people that are, so OBS is very popular and mm. I think that was kind of a niche application, but it actually it's just genuine, generally popular. It's amazing actually. Yeah. Uh, and there it's are some, got so many uses that a lot of people don't even realize how much it, it could be used. Exactly. I think this is it. You know, people think, Oh, it's for streaming, but actually when you use it, you, like I think it's a better screen recorder than, you know, simple screen recorder and things like that. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. It's really versatile at all. Um, so yeah, we've, we've got these new versions of FFmpeg and NVENC is there available. So as long as you've got uh, FFmpeg installed and you've got the NVIDIA drivers installed, then that hooks itself up automatically. And then OBS automatically interrogates FFmpeg to see if NVENC is an available thing and you automatically see that pop up as the, as the default option now. So yeah, uh, that said, OBS have a snap and a PPA. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, in a couple of months' time, when what's in the archive is no longer the latest version of OBS, you'll be able to get a newer version of OBS through either of those alternatives as well. Nice. Um, so Ubuntu and all the flavors in 1804 um, now come with a new feature called minimal installation. Yep. Um, so how much space or time does that save somebody when they're installing and what would you say are the notable programs that you won't get installed by choosing okay. that minimalist? So the so I think I don't think Lubuntu can take advantage of this feature because of the way their seeds are constructed. They have no recommended packages. So I I think if you choose minimal on Lubuntu, it won't we won't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've looked at minimal 
uh, on Ubuntu proper, and obviously I did the implementation for Ubuntu Mate. I think the the implementation in Ubuntu is basically to to remove things that you might not want in an enterprise environment. So it basically removes um, games and uh, audio players, and it removes the Office Suite because you know a lot of people these days they're using cloud based Office solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ubuntu Mate, I'd been I'd been wanting to do something like this for a long, 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 long time. Uh, two or three years ago, I did some work with the Zubuntu team, and we we were creating this concept of uh, Ubuntu Mate base and uh, Zubuntu base, which was basically an alternative ISO which had fewer applications in it. That was just like the the minimal system. Mm-hmm. So Ubuntu have have uh, been trailblazing with this for some time they've had the ubuntu core images which are their community maintained images that strip out all of this stuff and i'd i'd wanted to do this for such a long time so when i saw this capability coming along i I think the day it landed i i'd added support for it (laughs) on ubuntu mate it removes everything that isn't the mate experience so uh, Thunderbird, the Office Suite, the video player, the audio players, the CD writer, a load of extensions in the file manager, a load of additional utility. It's all gone. So you basically get the Ubuntu Mate desktop and Firefox. And that's it. Nice. In terms of how much disk space it saves, I don't think that that's really the intention here because those things surprisingly don't take up all, my, all that much space. You're talking a few hundred megabytes of, of on disk space at the end of the yeah. day. And actually probably takes a bit longer to install the minimal version because the way it works is you actually install the whole thing and then at the end remove a bunch of stuff. <laughs> that's how, yeah. that's how, how the installer works in Ubuntu. You get the SquashFS file system that is the OS gets deposited on your disk and then what used to happen is the installer for example would be removed you know there was a bunch of packages at the end that would get removed so the installer and any language packs that weren't the language you chose at install time get removed at the end so what's happened is this has been bolted on the end of that process where as a distro maintainer i can now say here's a list of packages we don't want in the middle of install and at the end it then yanks all of those off as well yeah. Um, we've, we've gone quite deep on that. We've done a whole load of reverse dependency analysis. So when you remove, uh, rhythm box, there's actually a whole bunch of additional stuff that's associated with the rhythm box package that this, this minimal installer won't automatically reverse resolve and remove. So we've manually done that. So we yank nice. like everything. So when you remove LibreOffice, Every trace of LibreOffice and all of the libraries that it depends on yeah. are also removed from the system. Very nice. Um, and I think this is great. Um, I, I think that for my own purposes, I will always install the minimal version now because mm. I, I never use LibreOffice. I rarely use transmission. The only thing I really use that's in the default install is VLC, but you know, that's just an additional thing I can install on top these days mm-hmm. uh, and I do need the, the the browser but where I think it will really become useful and not just for Ubuntu Mate but generally is people that are making their own Steam boxes or their own Kodi boxes and just want a base that you know gives them the means for all of the driver support that they need and can you know yep. get all the drivers that they want it's all working and then they can just stick on top 
you know, the application that they want or the applications that they want. I think it will be very popular. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of uh, potential for like a kiosk mode and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. These sort of set top box style yeah. devices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I pretty much in the same boat. I'm going to be using the minimal pretty much every single time I use it now. So a quick question that just pops into my mind and you'll have to forgive me because I'm not the techie in the group. I'm just an end user. Putting the minimal on and having all of these patches is stripped out. Does that make it run leaner and quicker and slicker or is there no, no real difference? No, no significant difference because, um, for example, it doesn't remove any of the accessibility software. Mm-hmm. So all of us here, as far as I can tell, uh, there are four of us wearing glasses. Uh, that will be the old gentleman amongst the, uh, amongst the crowd here. Um, but as far as I can tell, we can all see just perfectly fine. But we all pay a tax, uh, when you install Ubuntu Mate that it's set up and ready for any visually impaired user to turn on all of those features. That's all there. It's installed. It's all configured. And some of those services are always running in the background. So you're paying a little bit of a tax there. And I don't remove that stuff in the minimal install mm-hmm. because I, I firmly believe that just in the same way that the, the operating system should be translated and available to them regardless of what language they speak, it should be available to them regardless, regardless of their physical ability as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so I don't remove things like that. And Thanks. it's those, it's those things, uh, things like, um, accessibility integration and all of the stuff that when you plug your phone in, that automatically connects. There's a whole bunch of additional services running there to facilitate that, which are rarely utilized. There are things like that in Ubuntu Mata that people say, oh, well, it's getting bloated because now it uses 380 meg and it used to use 320 meg. That stuff (laughs) I leave in there because when people expect it to work, it does just work as opposed to you having to go and install a bunch of random packages to, to make it go. Yeah, and also it's more it's more important that they have a, an easier uh, you know entry to using it because yeah. you remove those for the minimal, and then they want to remove the other things, and they also have to deal with that. It would just be like that would be yeah. unless you're the guy who only has a computer with 340 megabytes of RAM. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because there's a lot of those. In around. which case, buy a Raspberry Pi. You can solve it. Yeah, but that goes back to you know what Mate's. Uh, thing is that everybody it pops in their mind as soon as you mention Ubuntu Mate is it it just works. And that goes back to you having those services in there. So yeah, I agree that they shouldn't be removed. Yeah. So consequently to to answer answer your question, Zeb, no, um none of the things that get removed, I don't think any of them have background services or twos or at all so i don't think you'll see a, uh, any drop in memory footprint and the disk footprint drop is ne- is you know it's hundreds of megabytes it's not going to mm-hmm. make a huge difference it's really oh. about creating a platform you can build on and customize nice. yourself well even though in the telegram group we have a lot of distro hoppers we have a lot of feedback for ubuntu mate being that distribution that just works it's a yeah. very popular one and we got a question from Barb, who is one of your yeah. biggest fans. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know Barbara. <laughs> Hello, Barbara. I'm sure you're watching. Okay. <laughs> so she wants to know if you can now, or maybe if in the future there would be a feature to be able to set a different wallpaper for each workspace. RTFM, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, if only it were that simple. Um, <laughs> the, 
the best way to, to achieve that right now is in the software boutique. There is a, uh, an application called Variety, which is a wallpaper switching tool. And that can do that thing, uh, displaying different, uh, background images on different displays. So oh, right. that's the way to do it today. Uh, it's interesting, right? So this is one of those bits of feedback that you don't necessarily need to get directly, but I just know this is a feature that people want to see. In the same way, it used to irk people that when they set a background image on their desktop and they locked the screen, that wasn't the image that was on the screen locker, which we fixed yeah. a couple of versions ago. It's a real simple thing, but this this displaying different images on different displays, I have heard that from hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that, you know. <laughs> We'll How hard there. is something simple like that? Because, I mean, obviously, it's, it's just nice to have. Is that a ridiculous coding undertaking, or is it just you got to find time for it? it yeah, you gotta, you got you to you gotta remember there's only like a handful of people working on this stuff. And right. by and large, we want to work on the things that interest us. Right. Um, and, you know, there's an, an element of, you know, I tell you what, if there's anyone listening to this who's familiar with C and GTK, come in, give us a pull request. We'll, we'll merge it immediately, and it will be in the next in the next release. So it's just priorities. You know, when yeah. you're faced with everything you could do and then the things that you've got time to do, sure. um, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's not on the critical path. Plus you know, there's an alternative I, there you can use like variety, like you're saying, you know, yeah, and variety is very popular in window managers because yeah. there's no background service unless you have variety going. So, I mean, it's, it's something that's very popular. It's maintained. It's out there. It's, yeah, there is a solution for it basically. Exactly. Well, and there's, there's another thing as well. I forget the name of it, but there's another tool that people say, oh, you can yeah. Well, actually it's not this, but it's, it's a tool like that, that, you know, yeah. you can do the same thing. Well, Variety works on different uh, displays, but I don't know if it works on workspaces, like actual different workspaces. Oh, workspaces. Oh, goodness. Oh, well, I will have to scope this out now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just reread that question myself. It's for different workspaces. Work, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all, everything's possible, right? Um, yeah. One We're day. talking your biggest fan, Martin. You need to put some time. I know, I know. <laughs> but there's know. obviously less people asking for workspaces than they are monitors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, actually, this is the first time, maybe the second time I've heard about workspace context backgrounds as opposed to display oriented. Right. So, yeah. So on like i3 and others, you can put an icon above each workspace, which you can set, which will tell you, hey, this is a different workspace. Like you can put a little browser, mini browser icon or whatever to know this workspace for my browsers or whatever. That would seem to me to be almost more useful than having a different wallpaper on every workspace. But I can yeah. see. Anyway. But there's actually, I mean, there's, it's interesting because this is like a situation where people want to have different modifications and there are other DEs that you can't have the same one on this, on the, on the, like if, if you, you can have literally the same wallpaper on each monitor or you can have, and you can change it to different workspaces, but then there's like limitations where you can't like say have like a dual monitor wallpaper that just kind of splits. Whereas with my testing with Mate, you just put that, you say, uh, here's I say it's a dual monitor, split it up for me. And like, so like depending on your configurations, there are some times where one DE does one thing perfectly and then another person wants something completely different and you're trying to like cover all of the bases. Like it's, it's a, there's so many options to go with. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of bit of, there's, there's going to be a lot of time to develop all of these different things. 
Plus, you got to support them. It'll end up like the terminal background images. We'll get back around to fixing that later. Well, there is that, right? So the other thing is, of course, is that with multiple... So high DPI, um, that was tricky because I was the only person on the team with a high DPI display. So that was all on me until mm-hmm. I found another developer in the Mate community who'd recently purchased an XPS 15 and was also significantly more skilled than me with regards to the inner workings of the X stack. So he did all of that work. But then as this got really close, then other members of the core team were like, I'm going to buy myself a 4K monitor. <laughs> not have done this two years ago when I originally You know, so now, now we've got people with 4K displays and therefore dual monitors. So now there's more people on the core team that have got multi-display setups. Then this is probably something that, that will come around, you know, organically as something that we go, Oh, you know what? I actually want different pictures in different places. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. So. Many users have dove into Ubuntu 18.04 while it's still in its release phases of beta. This is very interesting. In my industry, we pretty much have had to stop doing a lot of beta, public betas, because people nowadays, especially in gaming, this is a big one, expect when even if it says beta all over it and this is just for testing and things are going to break, they seem to expect it to work fully operational. And I was just curious, do you see that in the Mate? Because obviously you've done something incredible with with Mate because when you installed the beta, it did just work. There were little nuances and little things, but the core things all worked. Is that something you have to keep in mind when you're releasing a beta nowadays that you're going to have a bunch of newer-ish users getting in there expecting a full working desktop? Yeah, so I suppose, I don't know if my mindset is different. So there's a couple of things here, right? First of all, the Ubuntu base, even through the development cycles, is a really stable base to build on because of all of the automated testing and integration tools that we have in the back-end build systems. It means that the fundamentals of the OS are just working. So so long as I don't screw up, you know, the the, (laughs) the upper layer that I'm responsible for, then it should all just work. And one of the safeguards I have there is, I'm always running on my main machine the daily image of whatever the current development machine is. So it has to work, otherwise I can't get my job done. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of that there. Um, occasionally we make screw-ups. And and they're short-lived. I, I made a bit of a, a big mess of just after beta one, I uploaded a package that broke all sorts of people's systems. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just gloss over that ever happening. And it was fine a few hours later. Um, but that's why you, you get people on the bleeding edge. Um, cause be- better they, you know, 24 people have a hard time for a day than, you know, thousands, you know, a month later. Right. Yeah. So, um, there's that, you know, you got a good Ubuntu base. I'm, I'm careful. And also the, the alphas and betas that we've been releasing, I've always treated those like they were a release. I've always been very careful to actually make sure that that ISO image that goes out, even though everything might not be complete, it hasn't got bugs in it so mm-hmm. we'll deliberately not land something i know if it's got bugs and and just like well we'll add that in the next version but i treated each alpha and beta like it was a release nice. um but that's probably just my ocd you know shining through a little bit there um, we like your ocd <laughs> yeah and also uh, you know mate is pretty stable you know um we have great testing happens in mate itself so i know that i can build from Git master from the entire Mate project. And I know the whole thing will build and run, you know, at any point in time, which is, is, is also a nice safety net. You know, I always know we've got a working platform. 
So speaking of the, the, the alphas and beta stuff, I'm, I'm just curious that you, you've heard of the Quigley proposal, I'm sure. I'm familiar with Quigley proposal. Yes. So, um, for those who are not, it's, it's a basically a proposal to, instead of doing the alpha betas to do more of a monthly ISO release. And that could, and there could be, you know, pros and cons for it. Uh, what do you think is the, like, have you considered doing it? And, uh, if so, um, is it, is it more of a, is it like a full community type thing where everybody is, is like, how many people do you know of in the, the flavors have considered? So yeah, Simon quickly, uh, made this proposal to the, uh, Ubuntu release mailing list and he had consulted with all of the flavor leads prior to doing this. And, and the TLDR is all of the flavors have, have agreed to, to follow the proposal, which basically means we won't be doing alpha one and alpha two and beta one, um, it, as we have done. We're going to follow Ubuntu's model, which is to do a final beta and release candidate images. And what the foundations team at Canonical, uh, are going to be offering the community is to hook up the automated testing that exists for Ubuntu today for each of the flavors. So that, that also takes some of the burden off actually doing this testing because we're going to get bots to do some of that for us. So it now means that each of the flavors can focus their testing around, you know, new features that you nice. know we don't have test cases for and new visuals and aesthetics that we don't have test cases for rather than retesting stuff that really, you know, should be taken for granted like the installer works, you know, and that's a lot of what the flavor testing involves is does the installer still function correctly and all that sort of stuff. So the the base benefits of being a bunch of like having all the autom- automated stuff, this could actually improve it. So there could be more done on the flavor side. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're going to do is transition away from doing the alphas and betas and the flavor community. So all of the flavors together are going to organize these testing weeks. So we're going to nominate, some weeks in the development cycle where we all make a noise about we are testing this week, come and download the daily ISOs, do your testing, report the bugs in the usual way through the ISO testing tracker. But there it's more instead of each individual flavor saying, no, it's time to do testing. We're all going to say it together. Uh, and hopefully we'll get better testing results as a result from doing that. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see how it works out. But I think the real big value is going to be these these automated tests. I think that'll be terrific. Mm. Is this the, is this the first transition? Is that going to start for 1810? Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Um, you said earlier on in the interview that you'd moved jobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And what are your feelings about snaps? And on the end of it, um, Rocco made a prediction that he thinks there will be a snap-only distribution sometime um, this year or sometime in the future. Okay. What, what's your feelings on that? Right, well, let's start with that prediction. Not this year, Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You should have also mentioned he's terrible prediction. Come on. <laughs> it, it should be my only one that I get right. <laughs> Right, so I, I, I take it you're imagining in a, a world in which you have a desktop distro where all of the components are snaps. Is that, yes. is that the, yeah, okay. So in terms of desktop distros, now there's a little ways to go there to, to do that whole cohesive desktop thing. I think you might start to see the possibility to do some window manager type, um, operating systems with snaps this year. 
if anyone's interested in picking that up. I've seen some seen some interesting prototypes just recently at work. There's some good stuff coming along there. So yeah, I expect to see some some stuff along that. See, line. I wasn't that far off. You're not that far <laughs> off, but full desktops. There's a, there's a whole lot more going on there with uh, yeah. display managers and debus and all sorts of things. And I think that's a little a little ways out yet. Um, so yeah, I now I now work as a developer advocate on the Snapgraph team. On the Snap, do you think that's the way yeah. to go? You think that's the future? Uh, I think that there's definitely a future in snaps in a whole raft of, uh, markets, not just desktop, but, you know, uh, Ubuntu, I don't know if you've heard, but we're, you know, big on server and cloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're, we're growing in the IOT space as well. Um, yeah. And I, I, I find that work fascinating because I get to, you know, my, my passion, my passion project is Ubuntu Mate. So I'm, I'm a desktop enthusiast, right? I'm one mm-hmm. of these hopeless Linux nerds that's the brain stuck <laughs> in the 1990s. You know, we're going to dominate the desktop someday soon. And I'm doing my bit to make that happen, right? It's a, it's a futile task. And I, that's just the way I'm wired now. And, and that's where I'm going. My background was in massive compute clusters and data centers and all of that stuff. So I, I, I'm, I'm sort of multidisciplined. Uh, and all this IoT stuff, um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I, I understand the server component side of it and I'm fascinated in the device side of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like to make my own devices. Uh, and I get to work across all of these different domains in the job that I do now and talk to outside organizations who are all working in these spaces and doing different things. So one minute I can be working on some cutting edge desktop application with, you know, a prominent software developer. And then in the afternoon I can be working with one of the four major cloud providers on, you know, what they're doing. And then the next day I can be working with an IOT device manufacturer. And that kind of variety keeps me interested and uh, I, I really thrive on that. So I, I, I love I love the job that I do. And also, I don't know if you know this, but what it means is, is that we're a team of two people. Uh, I am, I am one and Alan Pope is the other. So it ah. means I get to work. I get to work with my mate Popey, which, uh, is also uh, entertaining and wonderful. How much of that work involves rust? Uh, well, we're, we're surprisingly dedicated. <laughs> so, um, sadly, not that much. Oh. Although, um, Although we have been talking about having another uh, binge on Rust soon, because uh, Opie and I are also a duo in Rust, so uh, yeah, we, uh, we when we were playing back in October, some Windows users had, had twigged had heard mention of Opie and I being on this particular Rust server, and mm-hmm. they came out ganged up on us and tried to raid us and all the rest of it. So there was this whole like you could hear them in in the chat. They were mm-hmm. going to try and sc- scalp either me, <laughs> me or Pope. So uh, we got into some interesting skirmishes as a result of that. You know, every time you take someone out, you should type RTFM across the server. <laughs> you know, like, the manual for the game. Then come back and try to play us. Yeah. So security and privacy are big things in the news right now, which always mm-hmm. helps Linux. That's the journey that led me originally to Linux. And it's obviously a top of mind for many things, especially Facebook and a lot of the invasive practices that have been exposed, at least the ones we could find out. So with that, the fact that a lot of people are probably going to start looking at Linux with all this privacy news coming out there, there, are there some things that Mate is doing on top of the standard 
privacy and security that Linux provides as a whole to kind of add some new features in there to help people with that. Right. Well, in terms of Ubuntu, there is a facility in the installer where you can enable full disk encryption. Um, and that's something that I've been taking advantage of for a long while now. That is almost zero cost on modern processors because all of that capability is integrated into the um, CPUs now. Um, nice. So I encourage people to, to take advantage of full disk encryption. You know, if your laptop gets stolen or your house gets broken into and your computer starts taken away, then all of that data that's on there is effectively safe. You may have lost it unless you're doing backups, but, you know, nobody's going to get at your data. Um, something that Ubuntu Mate did from the very beginning is we bundle uh, a desktop firewall application uh, in the distro so that, you know, and it's multi-profile, so it's got, you know, I'm at home, I'm in a public space, and I'm at work, and you can have different rules depending on where you are. So that's, you know, basic, good, you know, security, common sense. Yeah. Is it GUFW? It is GUFW, yeah. It's made by a good friend of mine, Marcos Castales, who's, um, in fact, who is the organizer of UbuCon Europe in Spain, nice. which I'm going to next week. Nice. Um, now, some things that I've looked at in the past, uh, I have investigated various antivirus solutions uh, that are available for Linux with a view to featuring those in the software boutique, as in not lots of them, but finding one that we mm. can put in there that people can install. Because I think people have been saying for a long time, oh, well, you don't get viruses on Linux. And that's kind of true, but also kind of not true. Yeah. And I think we're entering a bit of a dangerous time now where Linux, there's enough awareness around Linux that in some cases it's one of the platforms that people target, specifically target, and we shouldn't take it for granted that we don't need to run antivirus anymore because we're safe. Mm. Um, but I haven't found a good desktop integrated antivirus solution. So if, if my research has come up short and I'm just wrong, I would love to hear, you know, good, good quality implementations of uh, antivirus uh, software that have desktop integration. I would love to feature something like that. Um, go on. No, I was going to say it's interesting because I just was reading a Reddit post of on the Linux forums of somebody saying, hey, I just switched to Linux. How do I get an anti, what antivirus do I use on this? So they're so used to as well that yeah. besides what you're talking about, of having to have that as Windows, like it practically comes bundled with, you know, you go to any store and buy a Windows computer, they're going to try to sell you on an antivirus, that it's something that they're looking for as well mm-hmm. when they come over to Linux. But yeah, and it's hard to explain even if it is true. Like even in most cases yeah. where you don't need it, you don't, you don't yeah. necessarily need a antivirus, but it wouldn't hurt to have one. And well, and typically it wouldn't hurt to have one if there's one that's like, you know, reliable. But then there's the situation where a lot of people like Ryan was saying, like they, they're expecting it because it's, they've, it's been ingrained in them so long that yeah. it's just, it's a normal computing thing now. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, you know, that's something I think we need to look at, but I don't think it needs to be kind of the antivirus solutions you see today. They are so invasive. They, in fact, mm. in, in a lot of ways, I, mean, I opted out of these big antivirus suites in a couple of jobs ago. We're looking after half our, half our company was running Linux on the desktop and the other half were running Windows on the desktop. So we had to have those, you know, antivirus solutions in place. And we were looking at all of these things and they were so 
invasive that you know that these antivirus solutions that they they take up the majority of the resources that the computer has available um and in the end we ended up going back to basics and we were using windows defender or security essentials or whatever it's called now Mm -hmm. um because that did a good enough job for what we needed which was we didn't need application firewalls on every you know device on the network we just needed you know basic you know on-demand virus scanning so, um, yeah, I don't think we need, you know, like these encompassing suites of things. I think we just need something good for just going over your documents because you receive an email from a friend. Does that have a virus in it? Doesn't matter whether, whether or not you're effect, infected or not. You should just know whether or not somebody sent you something that's got a virus in it. Yeah. And your, your message out there is super important. Uh, the responses to the post on Reddit were all. You don't need one on Linux. You don't need yeah. one on Linux. You're fine on Linux. Yeah. And I, I cringe at that because um, I, I've been thinking a long time, you challenge a hacker to do anything, they're going to get it to work. It's just yeah. what they do. Yeah. So um, if you think your, your system's invulnerable, it's just simply never going to be. There's no such yeah. thing as 100% security. Um, yeah. And we will get caught with our pants down one day because we've been saying you don't need antivirus. And one day there will be a virus that's specifically targeted at Linux, and we're all going to be horribly embarrassed. Yeah, and you yep. know the media is going to jump on that like yeah, a big yeah. bandwagon. They oh. jump on anything if it has Linux and and some maybe remotely security negative security. Like, yeah. oh, this this is just candy day. Like, we're, right. we're, we're gonna- Linux, the new big brother. That'll be the headline. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um, so Martin, you're, you're very active within the community, um, and you regularly appear in Telegram groups and interacting with users via social media. Um, now this is something that quite a few distro developers are very weak in. Have you found that this has helped you shape Marte better, or is it sometimes a bit of a pain because you've got this one awkward person who just doesn't go away? <clears throat> right. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> wow! You might want to get a, a cough kind of that just decides to private message you out of nowhere, no introduction. Just hey, how do I tile my windows? Damn it! <laughs> it really hurts you. I can see it's really hurt your feelings, Mark. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. It wasn't two o'clock in the morning or anything. It's fine. <laughs> You, you were up working, so I figured why yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah, you can online with that damn thing, can't you? Anyway, <laughs> um, your point. Um, part of it is it's good fun, uh, mm-hmm. to interact with people in the community. Uh, you learn a bunch of stuff, you know, um, I found out of, about, you know, techniques. I mean, in the very early days of Ubuntu Mate. Um, and I think this is probably true for any distro. When you bootstrap a distro, there are a bunch of people out there who, uh, know what needs to be done and know how to help and in the first six months we had piles of contributions from people who were just helping polish polish this turd that i'd 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 created uh (laughs) and turn it into something half decent um and without that sort of means of finding these people at me saying oh look we've we've made this and then to pick holes in it and provide solutions it would have been very slow going so we've had loads of useful contributions come back through those engagements on the social networks and what have you, and in the Ubuntu Mate community site itself. Um, yes, I agree. As a massive generalism, 
the open source, the Linux desktop enthusiasts, those people making desktop Linux are absolutely terrible at publicizing what they're making and uh, in air quotes, selling it or promoting it to people to, you know, get people to come along and either get involved in the project or at least try it or let them know that they're making it. Um, and so that was something that I, I, I didn't, I, you know, if you're going to make something, you know, one of my bosses way back said to me, you know, if you don't measure it, measure it, it's not worth doing. Mm. Um, and it's a reference to metrics and benchmarking. And therefore by having communities of people and seeing how many thousands of people are engaged in what you're doing, you can tell whether or not people, whether, whether it's a worthwhile endeavor or not, you know, so I can remember being, over the moon when we had 300 members in our Google plus group. And I even posted a nice meme, you know, 300, uh, you know, image thinking this is amazing. There are 300 people here who are taking part in this. And you know, we've gone many, many times over that now. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. It's a great source of feedback. And I, I would say to other projects, you should do that better. And I've had a couple of long conversations with, uh, Daniel Foray, uh, elementary, uh, where he's asked me about, you know, how I've gone about doing things. And I've given him some advice on things that I've thought have worked well and things that he should consider for elementary. Uh, and I think, uh, he's taken that on board and he's had a good think about mm-hmm. it. And then now you'll see that they're posting regularly through medium about, you know, the status of the project and what they're working on. Yep. And they're much more community focused, you know, their community was the people that were working on it, not so much as the people that were using it. And I think Daniel's really turned that around and that's great to see. And I think, uh, you know, more distros should be, you know, mindful of that and engaging with their users. Yeah. I think uh, Daniel's a good example of, of taking your, your example and you know, running with it. Cause he's, oh. he's sort of doing, being on podcasts and stuff like he was on Destination yeah. Linux. He's, uh, he's, he's doing like the, the medium thing, as you're saying, and he's been more active in like Twitter engagement and stuff like that. So it is nice to see that other distros are taking that example and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And after your comment, Daniel was just such a good person to interview because he, he just didn't mention anything about, <laughs> and you know, you have 8,040 members on your Ubuntu Mate now, but I just want to let you know, after making fun of me, you now only have 8,039. Well, <laughs> oh, so so speaking of the the growth that that Monte is and Monte has seen over the the few years or so, um, what are some of the outcomes that you've seen? Is like the popularity, like the positives and like the negatives of that popularity? Oh, uh, wow. Okay, so I think the popularity side of things is that. When you have more users, more of those users are likely to be developers and you attract more developers. Mm. And this was one of the goals of Ubuntu Mate from the outset. It's one of the objectives of the project. Uh, and we're definitely seeing that. And it's taken a while, but, you know, for example, Victor Carrar, who's done the, uh, did the super keys work, did the acceleration in the window manager and did the high DPI implementation. He's found Mate and found a means to contribute to the project. And he probably wouldn't have found, we wouldn't have found him and he wouldn't have found us if it wasn't for Ubuntu Mate. So all of the other developers and the drive-by committers, I love, I love all of this army of people who maybe just 
drop into our GitHub. They've got this one problem and they just bung you a bug fix for this one thing. And then you don't see them for a year until they find another problem that works them. And then they, I love, I love those people. I think ace. I think it's great that you, uh, and it's surprising how many people there are with these niche skills, bloody C and G, GTK and all its hairy nonsense. You know, they're able to unpick this monstrosity and just ninja in fixes for things without being like super familiar with the project. I love that stuff, but it's these long-term contributors. So I think the the biggest thing is developers, attracting developers to Mate and improving Mate and just improving the system at all. Um, oh, I, I, I suppose one of the detractors is when you become popular, more people try your stuff out um, and there's a lot of self-entitled Linux users out there who, you know, don't read the manual. (laughs) 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 He he doesn't have to take this. (laughs) Um, That is a hazard. uh, We we deal with that all the time. (laughs) No, uh, sorry, Ryan. Last dig, I promise. Um, (laughs) That's a lie. Who, you know, are armchair pundits about the landscape of Linux. And they say pretty disrespectful, hurtful things about what other people are creating. And their, their output is toxic. It doesn't help the projects they're talking about. It doesn't help the Linux community at large because it makes us look like a bunch of infighting ass hats. Um, <laughs> And, you know, the, the, the more popular you become, the more of that kind of attention that you, you attract. And, you know, mm-hmm. I would rather those people just, you know, go and make a distro that makes them happy and not tell anyone about it. <laughs> <laughs> we unfortunately run into these people, you know, at times ourselves. Well, for the most part, for the most yeah. part, most of the community is incredible. Yeah. Whatever in a while you get this response or this post or this reply and it's just it's it's almost like you want to tell them you you realize there are other choices out there and that's what makes linux unique so instead of acting like the world is going to end because you don't have some feature or the developer didn't put something in that you want either get over it contribute or move on i mean in some cases it's it's not that they want something new it's that they're so mad they literally seem like they, they feel the world is truly going to end because of this. And I would t- say, tell them, take that passion and put it into creating something. But it, it is a toxic part of the Linux yeah. community. It's a part of any community, really. But yeah, it yeah. is one that is very, very negative, And they tend to be extraordinary. They tend to be very extreme when they're on that side. It's yeah. just very extreme. I, 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 would, I would endorse that mentality, right? So, so way back... Uh, 2010, 2011, something like that. I was an Ubuntu user. I was finding it increasingly difficult to wrench the bits of Unity that had just been introduced out of Ubuntu to restore a workflow that I was comfortable with. And there was lots of toxicity around around Ubuntu at that time. Uh, uh, my response was to actually take positive action, which was just to find another distribution that I could work with that, uh, that I was happy with at that time. So I did, I switched to Arch Linux, but I took positive action. You know, I didn't moan about Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't have a rant in a place where nobody from Canonical or Ubuntu is ever going to see it or ever, ever going to get surfaced in any meaningful way. I just reviewed all of the distros that were out there at the time, and I found one that was going to work for me, and I switched. Yep. That is how you should do it. If you're so, and if you're not going to do that, you know, if you're not going to prepare to move somewhere else, then help improve the thing or fix the thing that you're so incandescent about. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, yeah, that's all a bit negative. So let's try and end on a positive on that question. The other benefit is um, Ubuntu Mate started a crowdfunder for. $135 a month so that we could host uh, our own forums that weren't linked to a social network platform. So this is back in, I don't know, early, late 2014, early 2015, something like that. And that's how much it was going to cost because I decided we were going to use Discourse and that's got quite beefy requirements. So $135 a month, if we can pony that up, then that's good. So we, we started a Patreon and we were taking one-off payments through PayPal. Roll on a few years, and we're we're drawing in quite a significant amount of money through that, <laughs> well over the $135 a month that we needed. Um, although along the way, you know, we were spending thousands of dollars a month on bandwidth for the Raspberry Pi images that we make available. <laughs> they're epically popular, and they're like gigabyte each, so they, that was rather expensive to provide. We've now got a sponsor covering all of our server. It's ByteMark. So we have nice. this money. Um, so the, the the advantage of being popular is people back the Ubuntu Mate crowdfunding and we put that to good use to fund developers to work on the stuff. So, you know, Victor could have absolutely developed the high DPI stuff, but we were able to motivate and focus his attention on working on high DPI and the mm-hmm. acceleration in Marco and the super key stuff by compensating him for the spare time that he was investing in Marta in all of this development by effectively paying him. And also we're not paying peanuts. It's not like, um, what's that thing? Bounty source where you see, you know, uh, uh, make me the moon on a stick and I'll give you $10. You know, that that, (laughs) we actually, we actually pay, you know, a sensible amount of money. Now, Victor is not making a wage off of that work and, and it's still way below market value, but it was a significant amount of money that we were able to fund Victor, compensate Victor for. And we do this in projects all through Ubuntu. In fact, I believe Michael, you, you, yeah. you've been on the receiving end of I the, participated in that. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, it, it, the, the, your point about it being, a, a significant amount of money, but not like a wage. It like when you suggest, when you came to me and asked me if I wanted to participate in this particular situation where I, I, I helped the high DPI of the graphic side of stuff. And that, that when the, the amount that you, uh, like having being offered anything was like, Oh wow, this is very different than any project I've contributed to. And the, the amount was not like this is an amazing amount, but it was enough for me to go, this is like a very serious, like, in, like venture that they're doing to, you know, you're, if you're giving like a certain, any kind of money at all to developers and to the, to the it, it'll in, increase the amount of people who want to participate. Yep. And like, and it is, and it was also like, it's enough where you know that that project respects your time mm-hmm. to, to do, to be, can be contributing to the project. And like, I, not only I, I was going to do it for free and then you offered to do it as, as a, it's just like a principal thing. Like 
I, it was amazing. So like yeah. that, that kind of a, a dedication to the community is just, is fantastic to see. Yeah. And you know, all of the advancements that have happened between 1604 and 1804, anything that's significant, if I haven't developed it myself, anything that's been done by anybody else of any significance is being funded work. So the work that Daniel Foray did on the new icon sets, that was funded. All the work on the graphic stuff was done. All of the Ubuntu Mate themes, we've got a guy who's done all of the work there to uplift all of those and fully implement all of the GTK3 style classes. It's probably been our most significant outlay on investment. We've got some other projects that we're supporting, which will begin to pay off as we get into the 1810 cycle. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of endeavors going on, but it's it, the momentum that the project has it is largely due to being able to incentivize people to work on things in a sort of a focused way. You know, I've got this vision of we're here and in two years we need to be there. And I've been able to use yeah. this crowdfunding to sort of guide the project and the developers down, you know, a series of paths to make or make everything happen. That's a great point about the whole bystander effect where you go, is any, any developers interested in helping? They might not, they might be interested, but not know what they would want from them. Right. When yeah, you yeah. ask them specifically, it, it makes it a lot easier to contribute as well. Yeah. All right. So according to your manifesto, one of the commitments that you guys have made was maintaining an option for Mate on lower end hardware. I would imagine this. <laughs> Very difficult as we talk about kind of, you know, working with the community and everything else. Some people have some really old hardware out there. It's you're trying to balance, I want to make Mate futuristic, yet I still, you know, part of our manifesto, we're kind of balancing some of that with making sure we're not too resource heavy. How are you guys figuring that balance out? At what point do you cut off somebody's, you know, Tandy and say it's just too old? So I think there's two things here, right? There's the, there's the, um, there's the Mate manifesto, which I think is what you're referring to, mm-hmm. so the upstream Mate project. And then there's objectives of the Ubuntu Mate project. Now, in some cases, the manifesto of Mate and the objectives of Ubuntu Mate overlap. You know, there are things that are in common and there are some places where they diverge. Now, Mate itself, uh, in terms of being, you know, it's never been about being a lightweight thing. I, I, in fact, this whole, oh, it's lightweight really irks me. It's just the <laughs> most, most, most annoying thing ever, right? So lightweight usually means feature incomplete and it doesn't integrate well. That's what lightweight means. It means I want a degraded experience right now because I, 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 I value that 80 megabytes of memory. Yeah, and there are people that do that value that. Yeah, yeah but it just it just doesn't make any sense. It That's just, what open boxes for really does. Um, and people say, oh, you know, Ubuntu Mate, it's getting all you know, uh, uh, bloated. And I'm thinking it runs on a Raspberry Pi. You know, if it runs <laughs> on a Raspberry Pi, if you haven't got a computer that's got equivalent capabilities, just go and buy a Raspberry Pi. So, it's thirty five dollars. <laughs> that's like. So, 40 yeah. squid in your money. <laughs> yeah. Now, what I do value is 35 squid in our money. <laughs> <laughs> what I do value is something being efficient, right? And that's what the Mate desktop is. Now, we're lucky in that it's all, well, 
the vast majority of it is implemented in C. So that makes it a very efficient system. Mate itself uh, doesn't have all of those integrations that I talked about earlier. You know, it can integrate with accessibility services and it can integrate with all of these different um, pluggable devices and hooks and what have you, but you don't have to do that. You could run it in, you know, almost no memory at all. But I choose to, you know, integrate it with all of the things. Mm. The one area upstream Marte where we really pay attention to resource consumption is specifically when it's being used in remote terminal services type uh, deployments. We've got very strong ties to the X2Go project. Marte is hand in glove with everything that X2Go do and X2Go have a consultancy division wing and Marte is used widely when they're doing remote terminal services. So that is the one area where we pay very close attention. And that's the one reason why the non-composited desktop option still exists. Because in that particular use case, that is king. You know, that's what you want. Yeah. Um, but for running it, I mean, you can't buy a computer today that is incapable of running a composited desktop. You can't buy a computer today that's incapable of running a 3D rendered desktop. You know, all of these chips have IGPs in them that are all capable of, you know, spewing bazillions of pixels onto the screen. You know, it's, it's just a non-issue. Um, so we're, we're not lightweight. We're lightweight as an accident of history, but we, are efficient and we have a a focus on where we we concentrate our efficiencies. Ubuntu Mate itself has never targeted lightweightness. It frustrates me no end when I see people referring to Ubuntu Mate as a lightweight distro and it's like I've I've never, in fact, I think we even have it in the objectives. Uh, Let me have a look here. What does it say? Software selection will favor functionality over uh, functionality and stability over lightness and whimsy. You know, I actually outline it. We don't care about lightness. You know, it's, it's so funny because so many people were trolling you out there. Uh, the reason why I was looking into that question is because when I was going through all these reviews of Mate, just looking at other people's views and some of the things they said, a lot of the news posts will compare it as a lightweight, you know, say this is a lightweight option, just like, you know, XFCE or a, and it's kind of the same thing there where that's not necessarily what they're shooting for anymore. It's kind of changed. And that's why, you know, I wanted to, to bring it up. But a lot of people seem to have caught on to that somehow that that's, you know, a, this, a, this whole lightweight thing is sort of a Linux meme. Mm-hmm. And it meant, <laughs> it meant something like um, 15 years ago, you know, yep. lightweight meant something useful because yeah. at that time, you know, the abundance of resources in computers, they were, everything was still single core. You know, you didn't have multi gigabytes of, uh, RAM in computers. Um, and the comparison between Linux and the other things, the advantage was, is that Linux was lightweight and you could do more in less. Mm. But the, the fact is now is that that world just doesn't exist anymore. You know, the, 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 yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Doesn't. So it's, it, people pursuing lightweight devices why why are you wasting your time fighting with integration issues and featuring complete software just just install the prop and also you know i i went through i went through years of this god poor quality software featuring complete you know uh, no no desktop environments just really bad window managers and 
X X forms a terrible toolkit that had an email client, and that's where XFCE started. Just went through this abysmal period yeah. of, of having this terrible computing experience, and now look where we are. You know, you've got KDE and GNOME and Mate and Pantheon from Elementary and Cinnamon. We, we've got this abundance of really polished desktop environments. Why? Why worry about a few extra megabytes of memory when you could just have a really polished desktop experience? I just, yeah, and there are also even even in the, the the meme aspect is true because of like the fact that even like the the heaviest thing in Linux is still lighter than everything else. Exactly, so, exactly like, right. Like so, oh, I cannot wait even... to release my next video. Mate, my favorite <laughs> light desktop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be grand. <laughs> when you see a thumbs down on that video, you know where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> He's used to thumbs down on his videos. Let me tell you. <laughs> what is this game? What, what, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't have to take this. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so going back to what we talked about earlier about the contributors, um, we, we mentioned that Popey is had like a lot of involvement in the creation of Ubuntu Mate. Uh, but what do you think? Who, who are the some individuals that have can contributed to the success of Mate over the years? Right. Let's let's just get this one out of the way because I know that this is this is a constant source of embarrassment for Popey. Uh, Popey's entire contribution to Ubuntu Mate was making me tea in his kitchen on a summer's <laughs> a summer's day when we when we when we kicked the thing off like in in the summer of 2014. Does he, he make a good cup of tea? Uh, he does make an excellent cup of tea. Well, was uh, it Mate tea? Then again, he's British and that's the law. So um, <laughs> he invited me over to his house and he established some connections between me and people were working on the Ubuntu project and helped get the thing bootstrapped. Now, he did admittedly make the very first spin of the ISO, but since that, like, first two-week period, he has done precisely nothing <laughs> on Ubuntu Mate. <laughs> he knows it. <laughs> he won't be embarrassed by me saying this. There was a YouTube video just came out a couple of days ago, and they cite me and Popey as creating this thing, and Popey's messaging me on Telegram, oh, I'm still getting the hat tip for... <laughs> <laughs> Thing and I've done nothing you know, on it for years, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, so, Popey, he did absolutely. There wouldn't be an Ubuntu Mate without Popey, but his involvement was for a very, very narrow period. In terms of those the people that have contributed, there's there's some names of people that you might recognise: um, uh, Ike Doherty uh, and Stefan Rick, who are from Solus. They work on um, the Brisk menu, and through the crowdfunding that I mentioned, they've landed a number of enhancements to Brisk menu spe- specifically to uh, for what Ubuntu Mate wants to achieve. And that new Dash launcher is one of those. Um, Larry Bushy, if you're familiar with the Going Linux podcast, he's uh, yep. the presenter of the Going Linux podcast. He writes all of our documentation, so he uh, he's worked nice. on the content in Ubuntu Mate Welcome. He wrote the Ubuntu Mate guide, which is integrated, and he wrote the two books that are available from our shop. Uh, Simon Quigley, I know you've had him on the show recently. Yeah. Um, he's somebody I chat to regularly. He's a very a prolific contributor in the Ubuntu community. Um, and, uh, Simon's great for getting stuff packaged up quickly and into the archives in Debian and Ubuntu. So, 
Simon has benefited from crowdfunding where I've said we need this software packaging up and I don't have time to do it because I'm going to sit in the garden and drink champagne. Can you, (laughs) (laughs) can you do it for me? Um, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, he's, he's been involved in that. Um, uh, Sam Hewitt is a name some people might know. He's been involved in, uh, design and icons and themes and what have you, uh, in the Linux space for forever. And, uh, I contacted him in the very early days and he created the Ubuntu Mate logo, uh, to which I'm internally indebted because, uh, he, he licensed that under Creative Commons. We've been able to sell merch and I think that's a, it's a really terrific logo he came up with. Really, really simple but clever design. Uh, I mentioned Daniel Foray, you know, he, he, uh, about a year ago, reworked all of the default icons in, in Marte, uh, to borrow from what he'd learned, uh, doing elementary in the past. Um, Michael here, who retouched a whole bunch of assets to do, uh, high DPI variants and re- recolored variants for the Marte desktop. Look at that shot out, Michael. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pedro, he read the manual as well. Um, Pedro, Pedro Mateus. <laughs> Pedro Mateus from, uh, Linux Gamecast. He's done a bunch of work, uh, analyzing the relative performance of, uh, the different window managers on Mate and, uh, what the tweaks we should ship by default to optimize those pipelines. Um, Jonathan Nado, who some people will know, as being active in the access, uh, the visually impaired community, he, he gave us some good advice early on, uh, and did some sort of, um, verification that our image, you know, Ubuntu Mate was an accessible operating system. There's a different outfit that we're working with now. Jonathan's not so involved in this, but, um, there's a, a French organization who ship, uh, a Debian based OS with Mate, uh, government backed specifically for visually impaired users. And they've now filled that role of, of helping us ensure that what we do is um, accessible to everyone. And in the early days, Matt Hartley was involved as well. He gave us some advice on on what to do. And then there's a cast of thousands, names that you won't be familiar with, but without whom it would have simply been impossible to, uh, you know, put this whole thing together and uh, serve it up. I'm somewhere in that list of thousands, by the way, guys. Yeah, you totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, noticing, uh, the Michael Tunnell, uh, link there for his contributor status, um, I think he thinks it should be higher in the list. What do what? you, what do you think about that? It's not, uh, it's not a list based on priority. It's just a random assorted order of people that have done stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume I'd be any higher than, you know, top 10, of course. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Popey gets in there for just making tea, I mean, I think you should be moved up. It was really good tea. It was really good tea. (laughs) All right, perfect. All right, so the Linux community um, is vast and growing, um, Mm -hmm. and you've obviously got uh, a good group around you. Um, And there's many people doing some exciting work to change the Linux desktop you know, landscape, um, including yourself. But is there anybody out there that is like your inspiration and you think, wow, I wish I could do more along those lines? I mean, who, mm. who inspires you? Yeah, there's, there's lots to look at, right? There's lots of stuff to look at. Um, I, I, I suppose there is, there's this 
small group of distro maintainers who are connected with one another in one way or another. And I'm particularly friendly with Daniel Foray from Elementary mm-hmm. and Ike from Solus and speak to both of them fairly regularly. And I think what's interesting there is that each of us, our personalities and interests are reflected in the distributions that we make. I am a fan of very utilitarian, you know, function and usefulness, not necessarily gracefully so. Um, Daniel is very, and you know, and I think you see that in, in Ubuntu Mate, you know, it's, it's functional and it's sturdy, but it's, it's, it's not beautiful by any means, you know, it gets the job done. And that's the sort of thing that, it, that appeals to me. Daniel is really focused on the elegance and the importance of design language and expressing meaning and all the rest of it. And you see that in elementary, right? It, it that that design language speaks to you and it communicates to you is in a very clear and succinct way and it's quite beautiful what they've made Ike is a ricer and consequently everything in solus is tuned to 11 and every option <laughs> is very carefully chosen and you know it's a very fast you know bleeding edge distribution um so you know uh, daniel is creating a um what's the right comparison well let's get to ike ike is a pagani sonder uh, <laughs> daniel is an aston martin and i'm a mercedes g-wagon you know and i, and I think those are those are those you know that those comparisons are, are borne out through things and i can learn from what ike's doing ike's obviously solving some problems that other distributions solved in the past, but he is having to solve them today. And consequently, the way he's solving them today is very differently from how they were solved before. And I think a lot of distributions could learn some things from how Solus is doing things today, where he's taking a different or modern approach to some of the things that he's doing. And I think that what Daniel and the elementary project are doing uh, they're being far more thoughtful and considered in, in the way that they're presenting their work and the design that goes into it. And I, and I'm, you know, I would love, love to steal more elements from what both of them are doing, uh, and introduce that into Ubuntu Mate. Because, you know, I could have the fastest, prettiest tractor in the field if, <laughs> <laughs> if that were possible. So I want to have a bit of a chin wag here. Um, I'm trying okay. to learn your language uh, and speak to Zeb, uh, mm-hmm. be able to communicate with Zeb better. So I'm hoping you can kind of help me out here. Um, right. so let me know how I do. Do you like Marmite when you're knackered? And how many squids does it cost where you're at? I do love Marmite. Uh, I love Marmite at any time of day, not just when I'm knackered. Um, 250 grams of Marmite costs you two and a half squid. I'm also partial... I'm also partial to Bovril, and Bovril goes for three and a half squid for the same amount, <laughs> another 200 grams. And by the way, I got my granddad's scales out of the garage earlier, so 250 grams in old-fashioned is nine ounces. <laughs> Man, that's brilliant. Well done, sir. Well nice. done. I love it. And it just goes to show that, you know, you can have two people on there. You love it. I hate it. Right. Okay. I can't it's- eat Bovril or Marmite. 
Oh, well, so uh, I, I love both. And what I particularly love about it is um, Marmite's made from a yeast extract. So in the Midlands, there's the Bass Brewery. Um, mm-hmm. And right next door is the Marmite factory. And all the slurry from the beer production runs off from the Bass Brewery into the Marmite production. <laughs> <laughs> this is an <laughs> industrial symbiotic relationship. It sounds delicious. And what is Bovril? Uh, well, uh, so Bovril it's so Bovril is also sort of that black tar coloured stuff. So Marmite's a vegetable yeast extract, and Bovril's the same idea, but it's a beef extract. Okay, oh, sounds uh, great. Both got similar flavours, but Bovril's Bovril's slightly. Um, Slightly milder. Marmite's definitely got more tang and bite to it. Can't imagine why we're not importing that here hmm. in the US. Oh, I tell you what, you miss, I tell you why, it gets too good for your, for ourselves. Yeah. What was it that, um, famous movie quote from, um, oh, the pretty boy. You can't handle the truth. You <laughs> <laughs> can't handle bother. Yeah. Marmite, Marmite's gorgeous. Marmite, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Went, I once, I once, um, gave some Marmite on toast to a, a Spanish friend of mine and he, he pulled a face and, uh, in sort of broken English explained he thought it tasted like axle grease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I assure you, I assure you, it's, it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. All right. So let's get a, a bit down to y- yourself, Martin. If you was going to buy a computer on eBay, um, right. What programs would you install on it and how would you customize it? Obviously outside of installing Marte on it. If I was to buy a computer, hmm. well, I'd just install Ubuntu Marte on it. <laughs> okay. Let's twist I mean, that can... around a little bit. Right. If you were to buy a computer, a, uh-huh. if I was to buy a Martin Wimpress computer that was formerly uh, owned by Martin Wimpress, what yeah. would we find on it? Well, uh, I would install the latest LTS of Ubuntu Mate on it. I'd use the OEM installer. So the first time you turn it on, it uh, takes you through the, you know, what language do you want to use? What's your keyboard layout? All of that. So you get that out of box experience because that's something that all of the Ubuntu's can do. And the only customization I would make is I would put the documentation as a shortcut on the desktop. <laughs> that's a good option. That's a, that's a good a, option that should be default, probably. Yeah, huh? maybe, maybe, maybe at least maybe, for American users. Maybe, maybe some heuristics. Maybe some heuristics. But you know, if you've got something like Ryan in the username, it does that. <laughs> am I gonna find? Am I gonna make my way into manual? Well, like, like, don't be like this guy, and there's gonna be a picture of me there. <laughs> skip this section. <laughs> I can see it now. <laughs> So we can actually oh. now rename that Ryan the Fantastic Manual. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love it. So as well, so speaking of like getting new computers and stuff, but what's what's the first program you install in a, a new system or in just in general? Uh right. Okay. That there's two parts to that. The very first thing I would install is the LastPass extension into my browser. That would be the first thing I install. Yeah. In terms of like software on the computer, uh, two bits of software. Uh, one is called Yadim and the other is called DIRNV. And Yadim is yet another dot manager. So the reason I need LastPass is in order to get the password to my private Git repository. 
and use Yadim to check out all of my dot file configuration. Nice. And that's not just my dot configuration for stuff like, you know, the shell and what have you, but it's got all of like my, my graphical applications, you know, Mumble and GIMP and just everything you could think of. I've got all of that config in there. So I check that out. Uh, then it, it can store some, uh, private data as well. So things like my VPN keys and things of that nature, SSH keys, and that's encrypted. And I then use Yadim to decrypt and then deploy all of those nice. onto the system. And then it's got a little initialized script, which then installs all of the developer tools that I need. So those things, logging into LastPass, using Yadim to check out my stuff, deposit all the dot files and bootstrap my environment. That whole process takes about four minutes. And from that point forwards, as soon as I install any bit of software, it's automatically picked up all of my previous settings. So I can be off to the races really quick. Nice. I actually just expected some kind of like, you know, uh, a separate, different browser or something. And now I'm going to, I have to go look at Yadam now. So that they, so. Yeah, Yadam is brilliant. <laughs> Yadam is really so. good. And D, so DIRM is the other one. Um, in my little Yadam configuration, I have a folder called development. Uh, and that's where I do all my development. And then within that, there's one folder for Debian and another for Ubuntu and another for the Mate desktop and another for Ubuntu Mate and so on for all of the things I work on. What DIRM has is you can create a single file in a directory with all of the environment variables that oh. define the characteristics for what you're doing. So when I'm working in Debian, I need particular GPG signing keys. I need a particular email address exported. I need a username all of that stuff. So as you change directories in these projects, it automatically switches the context and reloads all of these environment variables. So I don't have to do a load of setup for each project. I just change directory and all of the context for what I need to work on those projects is automatically stood up for me. It's a, it's a real, real time saver. So nice. they're invaluable. Without those, I'd be wasting hours, hours of I'm a day I'm, messing I'm definitely going to check those out because I, I, I would like to, you know, I would like to start distro hopping myself. <laughs> right. So, uh, that would be a good tool for that. Yes. Um, so what right. are some of the ones that you guys use? Like for me, it's Simple Note, LastPass, or Bitwarden. What is it for you, Michael? What are your first programs? Right. Well, I mean, Bitwarden is my, it's my main. It's basically LastPass, but an open source version. And I also, uh, I'd say the most important thing for me to set up up front is KDE Connect. Like I, I need oh, Mike, my, my, I need that, I need that connection to my phone like immediately because it's, it's so convenient that when I don't have it, yeah. I am really annoyed by it, not having it. So, so what, what is it? I'm going to ask you some questions now. What is it about <laughs> KDE Connect that's so valuable to you? What does it do that you can't do without? Okay, my the most important thing is the clipboard management system. So, like, I, I love the fact that, uh, like, with, with Plasma or any kind, any, any any DE, I will install a clipboard manager, and being able to have my clipboard sync to my phone. So, let's say, for example, I need to do something from uh, Bitwarden or LastPass, and I get the content. When I do it in the computer, I I can just not even install anything, any password manager on my phone, and KDE Connect will send the password to my phone in the clipboard and I can log in that way when I have to worry about is some random weird, is Facebook trying to track my passwords or something? Right. So there's that, there's that benefit. The fact that I have, uh, the ability to have uh, mount my file manager, mount my phone's file, uh, file system in my file manager just from clicking a button 
is amazing. Like I, I can manage manage all of my files without having to worry about you know is it connected to the USB t- setup? Is it tethering? Or is it in the charging? Or is it MPT or whatever? It's just click it, mount it to the dr- to the file manager, good to go. Like there there are so many things that make it amazing that. Well- the work email is a big one that people don't talk about. Like I have my workstation over here. This is yeah. my, you know, if I'm doing personal things or whatnot, sometimes because of my job, I'm on call 24 seven. I need to be able to see a work email pop in that, Hey, you need to work on this. And I could see it on my personal computer because my phone is connected to my work VPN. Whereas yeah. if I didn't have that, I'd have no idea, you know, that that necessarily came up. Uh, or popped up even during a show or something like that where I don't want notifications dinging and blinging in the background, but I need to see somebody's oh, yeah. important message. That too. I actually don't have notifications on my desktop at all, ever. I have all my notifications on my phone. So when I'm, when I, and then like doing the show and I do put it in do not disturb, nothing disturbs me at all because it's all coming to the phone anyway. Yeah. So there, there's, there, there's that benefit. Don't, uh, there's don't also forget like some, about the most important feature. It's like when you can, you know, misplace, when you misplace your phone and you can ping it. Oh, yeah. you, can ping, you can ping your phone. Yeah, good point. I also like the music player where I can control my music player on my desktop from my phone. Like, I like I'm walking around the house and I can, you know, click the next. Like, that's not that important as the other stuff, but it's fun to have. Or okay. having using your, your phone's touch screen as the, like a touch pad for your mouse and Oh, there's there's so many benefits to it that it is something when I I completely notice it when I don't have it. Right. Okay. Well, you'll be so. pleased to hear that KDE Connect Indicator is in the software boutique. Oh yes. Nice. I mean, it, as soon as I install Ubuntu Mate for any testing or anything, I, it's like uh, KDE Connect. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> so when you when you first added that, it was it was something where I was like, I, I was so relieved that I didn't have to deal with all the PPA structure to get it all set up. So like yeah, that. I went through most of the eighteen oh four cycle. We didn't have uh, a working Ubuntu Mate welcome, and I had to install software like a barbarian, you know, going PPAs <laughs> <laughs> and you know how how you know oh, third party repositories, and it was like oh this is how this is how the other half live, you know. I, <laughs> oh my gosh, that example seems so true. Yeah. I just did Gentoo install and like the barbarian thing. Oh my god. <laughs> That's that's worse. That's that's like caveman type. I'm like, where's yeah. my punch cards that I insert at some point to get this thing running? Jeez. Yeah. So, okay. Well, in you know, in in a let's say in like a horrible post-apocalyptic alternate universe where Mate did not exist, <gasps> what alternative de- desktop environment would you be interested in using? Ah, uh, wow. Okay, I think there's two. Uh, one I've one I've touched on. Um, elementary or Pantheon, uh, I'd be interested in because it's GTK and therefore everything I know about GTK applications and the applications that I like, I can bring over and it's pretty. I think that Daniel and I, the gentlemen that we are, are able to, um, agree to disagree on some of the design directions of elementary and they, they may frustrate me, but it's nothing that I couldn't, you know, could, couldn't work around. So I think that that's an interesting, an interesting project. Uh, now the other one, uh, would be LX cute. Um, I think that's got a lot of potential, uh, primarily because it doesn't use GTK. Uh, I think that. The GTK-based desktops right now, if, if you are not buying into what GNOME are selling, it's it's going to get painful again pretty pretty soon. 
and this is a classic desktop metaphor built on top of Qt. It's straightforward, it's intuitive, and there's some good quality uh, Qt applications that you can bundle on top to give you a really decent, you know, desktop experience. You've got the Falcon browser, which is a native Qt mm-hmm. browser, which is quite decent. I wouldn't use it myself. I'd probably stick with Firefox, but it's yeah. there. Um, there's Clementine, you know, is a very decent music player. You know, there's lots of options. Um, so LX Qt and Elementary. Get, Let's not get. forget about our favorite feature that it's a lightweight desktop environment. See, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you'd be wrong in thinking that. <laughs> uh, LXQ is um, what I would classify as most Linux desktops as a modest, a modest all right, desktop all right. environment in terms of its resources. <laughs> you know, they're all about the same now. Um, yep. there's, there's not much between them. All right, so you have some collaborations going with Entroware, which is a UK-based yeah. computer manufacturer. So that comes preloaded with Mate. So do you have any other collaborations in the works or coming down the line? Um, not such. We did we did have one with another outfit um, for a while who were like a Portuguese company who were trying to do what Librem are doing, which was, you know, blobless, uh, total freedom stuff. And, and they were shipping Ubuntu Mate, but they, they weren't able to make ends meet. Um, I'm really happy, really happy with the collaboration I have in place with Entro where they're fantastic to work with. Um, and I know that they wouldn't get in our way of working with anybody else. Um, but I, I feel I owe them <clears throat> some loyalty for, you know, everything that they've done for the Ubuntu Mate project. Um, and hopefully, you know, I've, I've done some things for take, you know, the thing about intro where is this? So just this week, a little insight into how the sausage is made. Um, <laughs> there's been some problems with the NVIDIA drivers in Ubuntu 1804. Uh, yeah, 1804. That's this one. Uh, and it's been really hard to track down what the problem is. You know, you get this usual thing of people on the issue tracker who are trying to be helpful, but don't necessarily have the right technical insight to give the information that's required. Anyway, Entroware are testing their line of machines that have got NVIDIA hybrid graphics, NVIDIA and Intel graphics in them. And they bump into this issue. They go onto the issue tracker and for every flavor of Ubuntu and for every model of laptop, they, they contact the maintainer of the driver and say, what, what do you need to know? And they put together the debug wow. logs for wow. every flavor for each of their laptop models with all of the hardware specs of everything and basically provided like a gold mine of information, which meant that we could actually identify what the problem is. And consequently it is now fixed. And that was just brilliant. And then, then a couple of days later, I saw them pop up. You'll be aware that there's this, um, telemetry capability in, in Ubuntu now. And, and they popped up and said, Oh, we've been looking at the source code for this and we don't think that you're, you know, uh, prioritizing like vendor versus chassis vendor correctly. And the guys that developed it said, Oh, well, we'd looked at this documentation on, on these wikis and that's how we'd come to this conclusion. And they were like, Yeah, that's, only good for like tier one vendors, but for everyone else that has an ODM relationship, which is like tier two and down, uh, then you, you know, these properties are found in different, here's the specific, here's the specification document that outlines how this, and then they, they outline how this should be changed. 
to better support this. And it was, so there's a whole nice. chain log entry about, you know, thanks to Entroware for explaining how this SMI specification works so that, you know, we can make these changes. So they're really engaged in the Ubuntu community. Nice. Um, one, one outfit that I am interested in talking to more is, um, uh, slim books who are in Spain. Hmm. Uh, I met them at, uh, UbuCon in Paris and I will meet them again next week at UbuCon in Spain. And the Ubuntu podcast has their KDE slim book, uh, in as a review unit. And if there was another organization who I would trust to ship Ubuntu Mate in the right way, it would be them. And they've got some real interesting devices. So I, you know, if, if I share a beer with them and they suggest the idea, I would, I would go with that. But then you have to be careful because we've, you know, Tuxedo approached us last year and that was just terrible. And if you want to hear the full horror story, go and listen to season 10, episode 14 of the Ubuntu podcast. And looking at your page with Entroware, uh, they got, they got all kinds of different laptops and all in ones yeah. and desktops. And yeah. if they're going to be a company that, you know, contributes like you were talking about, like that's the way to go. I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. a good company. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, the best kind. Yep. They're really, really doing it all right. You know, they sponsor Og Camp, you know, so they're, um, usually a platinum sponsor at Og Camp, which is not an insignificant amount of money. And they usually have one of their, um, uh, decent laptops as like the, uh, raffle prize for the raffle. So you get loads of people buying, you know, bucket loads of raffle tickets because there's an entroware laptop, you know. <laughs> in the in the prize draw so you know they're they're you know real grassroots they you, you don't you don't hear from them very much but they're very much connected you know in the in the linux community where it matters they're they're good guys so while i didn't read the manual as you've so pointed out during this episode i did read lexion.org uh, some of your information on there one of the things i absolutely love that i saw you doing because I had a project recently where I, I've uh, done some neat things with the Raspberry Pi in the console in my car, but you recently took a Raspberry Pi and turned it into a do-it-yourself SNES Classic mm-hmm. edition, which looks awesome. So we've already established that you're a gamer. Is that something you're still playing with using there and... How involved are you in with that aspect of gaming with the Raspberry Pi? Oh, wow. Okay, there's a couple of things there. So that that project, uh, I love to doing, and I do things like that. But you'll notice that that blog is from like December or it's January 2017 or something. It's quite, it's like a year old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get to communicate the other stuff that I work on because writing stuff down, it's also... Who reads blogs these days, right? Who reads documentation? <laughs> <Daniel. laughs> no, no, you know, you, you have to search for something. You have, you have to have something in mind to go and search for it. So I've been sure. thinking about, you know, blogging and, you know, how I'm going to revamp that. And I've decided blogging's not the way to go. So something that I'm considering doing later this year is starting my own YouTube channel nice. where I'm going to cover little projects like this. So short form stuff where it doesn't, doesn't, go into excruciating detail how to do something, but gives you enough of a clue about how it was done and enough supplementary links in the description that you can go off and recreate some of these things for yourself. And we also talked about uh, distros and how do I stay on top with distros. I'm thinking of, you know, 
part of that is looking at the other distros and giving my impressions of distributions that I'm looking at in order to evaluate what they're doing well and what I might want to, you know, re, re, um, integrate into Ubuntu Mate. So yeah, am I a gamer? Um, I, I had an argument with Popey in a bar in, Bu- in Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> where I said, oh, I'm only a casual gamer. I don't really play games all that much. And then Pope went, hang on a minute. Have you got a gaming mouse? Yes. Have you got a mouse bungee? Yes. Have you got a mechanical <laughs> keyboard? Yes. Have you got an external GPU connected over Thunderbolt? Yes. Have you got two of those? Yes. Have you got <laughs> a separate audio interface? Yes. Have you got a left-handed, key, a specially adapted gaming keypad? Yes. He said, are you a gamer? Yes. <laughs> so the problem is, is that it sounds, and also, oh, the other thing is, is have you got, you know, steering wheel and pedals? And it was like, yes. So <laughs> the thing is, is that I'm not a hardcore gamer. I am, uh, you, you know, the guy that turns up at the tennis club or the golf, uh, the golf range and they've got all the kit. I'm, I'm that ga- guy for Linux <laughs> gaming. I've got all the gear and no idea. It's all brand new, no grass stains on any of it. Yeah. All pristine. Yeah. So yeah, I've got all, I've got all the toys, but, uh, I very rarely, um, I very rarely put them to good use. Gotcha. Cool. So with, um, Marte, how can your average user get involved uh, in supporting you guys? I mean, I mean, apart from the obvious, become a Patreon, donate mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. What, what sort of areas do you need help with? So one of the most valuable things people can do is if they find a bug, actually file the bug. You know, don't, don't post it on Twitter. Don't whine about it on Reddit. I, I don't read Reddit. I'm not going to find your complaints there. Mm-hmm. You know, don't post about it on the Ubuntu forum. I don't read the Ubuntu forum. I'm not going to find it there either. Just file a bug. You know, it doesn't matter if it's in the right place. We've, we've got a link to the launch pad issue tracker for Ubuntu Mate, the whole thing. If you file it there, we'll categorize it correctly. Just file a bug. Because if we don't know that these issues exist, then they're not going to get fixed. You know, I get people on on Facebook. I, I post various things on Facebook. And like this one guy posts, um, is the Lenovo issue fixed? And I'm thinking, sure. <laughs> <laughs> what? What Lenovo issue? The Lenovo issue in your head because I don't know about this. (laughs) File bugs. Something everyone can do. And it's part of the social contract of, of, you know, open source and all the rest of it. You know, you get an operating system for free. In return, you find a way to help improve it. And the simplest thing Mm. is file bugs. For people that are a bit more engaged, then always do with more people in QA. We talked about this re, um, boot of how we're going to do releases and uh, testing weeks. Totally, there's going to be good space for people to come on board, not just with Ubuntu Mate, but any of the Ubuntu flavors uh, to really help with, you know, testing and identifying issues. Hmm. One of the biggest problems I have with a bug is 99 times out of 100, unless it's a biggie, I can't reproduce it. So I can't Mm. physically say what I was doing Yep. When it happened, because I'm, I'm flashing away and I'm doing this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden it goes, mm, oh, yep. was that this or was that that? How so you're talking is it that it's really accurate? 
So you're talking about when a port pops up and says something crashed and I want to, well, those are valuable too, right? Just submit those because those have backtraces attached to them. Right. And people like myself can dig into that and actually go and look at what the application was doing at the time and try and figure out where the problem is. So those are useful because you get enough of those, you start to see patterns and it helps you identify where, where mm-hmm. the problem might be. And then, then we can figure out how to reproduce it. But as you say, the most valuable bugs are right. I do this, this, and this, and it crashes or it does this, and the thing that it does is not the right thing. You know, those reproducible test cases are by far and away the best because if we've got a simple thing, steps we can follow and it goes wrong, then those are those are great ones that are going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, is that issue trackers are not technical support forums. So, you know, you get people coming in there and they've got this long flowery prose about, you know, they installed this application and then they changed that and then they wanted to do that. And it's just like technical support. And that is not what bug trackers are for. Those mm-hmm. will just get closed. I'm very sorry. We'll say this is not a support forum, you know, raise issues, but it's not. Go to the community. If you've got general inquiries about how to use something, go to that community's site. You know, we have... Mm-hmm. Uh, Ubuntu Mate dot community. You go there. There's hundreds of helpful people there who will listen to your, you know, what, what you're trying to do and help navigate that and help get you working. But mm-hmm. issue trackers are this thing is broken. This is how it's broken. And, you know, we, we try and figure out how to fix it. Cool. Gotcha. Um, now another way I'm a mere mortal. Uh, I only, uh, <laughs> one language. Uh, but there are apparently people out there who can uh, read and write and speak multiple languages, uh, but they may not be software developers and what have you. Now, for those people, translations are a fantastic way to contribute to any open source project, not just, you know, Ubuntu Mate. Uh, and to give you some idea that they are, is by far and away the most popular way to contribute to open source. We've got over 1,200 people working on translations for Mate and Ubuntu Mate desktop. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, now, and you get different levels of how your translation works. You know, I just want to do a single string or you get reviewers who other people do the translations and they go in and actually validate that, you know, mm-hmm. it's grammatically Maybe, correct yeah. and what have you. So translations are really valuable. Um, of course, developers, right? So, you know, developers for Mate itself, uh, in core Mate. But what I would be really interested in seeing is we, we're now getting to the point where Mate's grown in popularity enough. We're seeing people creating third-party plugins and extensions, and I'd love to see more of that, more people building out on uh, on Mate itself. Um, and then with those with creative flair, you know, themes, uh, creating new themes or improving the themes that already exist, the skills that you need there is understanding CSS. So anyone familiar with web development can go to any GTK3 theme now and, and feel immediately at home because it's just style classes um, or artwork, you know, icons. I mean, it's very rare that you find a developer that's a, you know, a competent graphics artist. You know, I think Daniel Foray is an exception there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we don't have those skills by and large and anyone that turns up and can offer decent uh, design skills is always uh, going to be welcomed into any project. So, you know, those are way that people who are not software developers you know, can can get involved, definitely. And there's probably others as well. In fact, long overdue, I've got a page that I've been writing 
all of the ways you can contribute. And it's basically that, but we'll be putting on the site soon with some links to projects that where they can jump off and get involved. Nice. Excellent. So this, the last question of, of for this interview, I was just curious about the, the future of Ubuntu Mate and is there anything that's coming a lot, you know, in the, in the, the, the long term, like, uh, 1810 or something like that of, of Ubuntu Mate that you're excited for and can't wait to tell people? Yeah. So I think 1810, Ubuntu Mate 1810 is going to be a real yawner because we're going to do something a bit different. <laughs> wow way to get people excited (laughs) and i think i think people are going to like this though this this is why they're going to get excited we were really slow to deal with supporting ubuntu mate 1604 and addressing bugs and things that existed in 1604 so i'm going to dedicate the majority of the 1810 cycle in actually doing bug fixes and what are called sru's for the 1804 release so that in that initial six month period we try because i know there are some issues we need to fix and we haven't had time to do them for ga so over the next six months we're going to be working on tweaking up some things we didn't get time to finish and that you know we know that there are bugs there and we're just going to really improve that thing so that by the time you get to 1804.1 and by the time that 1810 comes along it should be you know, in really good shape. So that's something that I think people who are LTS users should be excited for, that we're going to make a commitment to really, you know, support that version far better than we did with 1604. And I think part of the reason for that is that I really think that this 1804 release is is really good and we we really need to actually back it up this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in terms of other stuff we're going to be working on, there's an initiative that I've been helping with called Ayatana Indicators. Um, we use the Ubuntu Indicators in Ubuntu Mate uh, 1804. Ayatana Indicators take that code and uh, effectively reestablish themselves as the new upstream. So Mike Gabriel, the Debian developer who I work closely with, is spearheading this. And, uh, we're also working with other distribute, other desktop environment projects so that this is going to not just be a Mate thing. It's not just going to be an Ubuntu thing. It's going to be a cross distro, cross desktop <clears throat> implementation of indicators. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm really looking forward to, to that work. I think that will be something as, as GTK removes this capability, we're going to step in and, and provide right. a solution there. Um, and then the other thing, and this isn't going to happen for 1810, but we're, we're just starting to flesh out our roadmap to how we get to Wayland. So, um, that will be a multi-year journey, I'm sure. Um, you know, uh, I don't think there is any time pressure to jump on board with Wayland right now. I don't, I don't think that you necessarily miss anything by, you know, being on Wayland versus Xorg, I can't see that that's going to change in the short term. High DPI was a far higher priority, in my opinion, but we'll start working towards that. Um, there are rumors, there are rumors of adding Vulkan rendering to Marco, the window manager. Mm. So that could be, that could be good fun. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Ubuntu Mate Welcome and the software boutique there are actually branches that are moving in new directions for both of those. So you can expect to see those being overhauled and revamped 
And the great thing is, is that both of those are snaps in 1804. So as we drive forwards with the changes there, you will automatically start to see those popping up. So you don't have to subscribe to PPAs. You don't have to wait for the next release. As we feel it's ready, you'll just get the new crack on your desktop. And (laughs) Ubuntu Mate Welcome is the central part of our USP. So uh, we're going to be working really hard on that. We've decoupled its development from the release development and release distribution. So we can iterate on that at our own pace now and, and deliver the new features we want to deliver when we want to do it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're going to work, we've got some better developer documentation. We're taking a leaf out of elementary's book there in creating a better developer story to help people who w- want to contribute uh, find their way there. Uh, I want to steal the audio output switching uh, wizard from Unity 7 and get that into the Mate desktop. So when nice. you plug in headphones or, you know, combo thing, it automatically prompts you and says, you know, what what device did you plug in and which do you want to use? Uh, and then another project I'm going to be working on is uh, Debian Buster. So Debian 10 Buster is due for release uh, probably next year. The next year. Yeah. Um, you can never quite tell with Debian, but let's say sort of June, July next year. Um, I've been asked to work with the, I already work with the Debian Mate team, but they've specifically asked me <clears throat> to bring some of the refinement and the defaults that we have in Ubuntu Mate, not necessarily the theming, but the way we integrate things and bring that to the Debian Mate experience. So nice. when they release their Mate on Debian, they have some of that smoothness and, you know, just sane setup and, you know, a little bit more, you know, considered approach. So that's something I've already started working on. I did a bunch of work in January on that and I shall be, um, doing some more throughout the the next six months or so. We're putting some of that upstream to Debian. Would that make it easier to to utilize it in Ubuntu Mate as well? Yeah. So I, I do. in terms of the Mate packaging, probably 95% of that happens in Debian first. So everything that you see for Mate, for Ubuntu Mate, happens in Debian and we sync uh, to to Ubuntu. <clears throat> and I've already made some changes so that like the settings and branding overlays that we have in Ubuntu Mate, I've already put all of that into Debian and I've got this um, hierarchical overlay system. So most of the Ubuntu Mate brand, excuse me, branding is now in Debian, but it only applies when it's running on Ubuntu. So there's this distinction of like, here's a common mm. set of stuff that both inherit, and then here's an overlay for Debian, and here's an overlay for Ubuntu, and each of those overlays are only applied when one's on Debian and the other's on Ubuntu. And I'm going to wow. flesh that out a bit more to um, mean that they are closer to what we're what we're doing. Um, you know, because they've figured out that, you know, we've, we've already done the hard work in working out what same defaults and settings and package configuration should be, and they can just, you know, inherit that. That's always a good thing. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome stuff coming down the road. Well, Martin, we appreciate all the time that you've given us today. It's uh, it's an okay. extra long episode, but more than that, <laughs> we appreciate everything that you have done. Yeah. For us, the end user in the Linux world, it's much appreciated, man. 
Well, mm. thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me back on. It's been good fun. Sorry it's a long episode. I guess you'll have to edit that down. Oh, no. No, no, no. We're not going to edit a minute out. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, I really apologize. Uh, any listeners? Oh, well done. I think the best part is that in the beginning, uh, you, you had the record for the, the most, most views, most watched thing. And, uh, I, Ike had the record for the longest one. I think oh, you took that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah you just took that Mikey. That's it. <laughs> Triumphant. <laughs> in your face again, Ike Doherty. <laughs> well, if you want to find out more, you can go to ubuntu-mate.org. And give them some love, no matter which way you do it, whether it's money, whether it's support, time, bug tracking, anything that you can do, all of it is much appreciated. Totally is. All right. So we want to thank everyone for watching and listening. And if you could give us a rating in your favorite podcast app, we would much appreciate that because that would uh, allow us to get to more people. So everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Real men don't read user manuals. Thanks. <laughs> Naturally. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. I don't know if you, you might have talked to him through Telegram, but Brian, another host. I'm Ryan. You, I'm the one. Uh, we talked briefly. DOS Geek. Yep. <laughs> I am aware. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, amazing, that's comforting. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm aware who you are. I'm aware. In the box. <laughs> this is going to be a good show. <laughs> My name is Martin Wimpress, and I know who Ryan is. Wow. <laughs> as exciting as I would hoped it would be for him to say that, and we're going to find out why later. <laughs> and my name is Ebony, and I also know who Ryan is. My name is Michael, and Ryan who? Oh, real nice. Who real are we nice. talking about? Classy. That is in that <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to episode. <laughs> Let me start that over. Again. So good, so, so good, good. <laughs> so professional of a podcast here. My gosh, three words in, amazing. <laughs> Wait till we do this live. Exactly. <laughs> right i'm on the ball yo yeah when i'm not you know, late talking about michael late. sharing though for open source didn't he refuse to send you the overlay template? he did no he did, no, he did not no he did not Man. well i don't say he flat out refused he pushed me off and said that it would be a lot it's more too complex for you yeah that's what he said it was, the guy who can't get on to run on his yeah, there, there are seven what layers, he, and, there's, and there's smart objects. Do you even know what a smart object is? What he actually yeah, said was he was a little too lazy to make it for us no. laymen's because he is super coder, super um, PSD wow. extraordinaire, and he has to dumb it down for us 
losers. So. That's not at all <laughs> what I said. Boy, is this possibly what I implied, but it's not what I said. Don't ever... it's, a, it's what he implied, but... <laughs> no. It's just, no. Sorry, it just came to nice me. Stuff. I didn't mean to start a battle. <laughs> There's a reason yes, you why did. it's not being used, okay? So... Girls, moving on. All right, girls. Rocco says he's added a load of questions. What's girls? Okay, so he did. He called us girls, dude. <laughs> um, uh, Martin asked, <laughs> get, your <phone> yeah. <laughs> "Get your camera out, will you?" <laughs> oh, Rocco, I forgot to mention. I don't want this to start anything. But, uh, oh, the, here we go. The installer I did. Uh, it's out there for everyone to use. Yeah, it's open source, right? Yeah, it, anybody, wow. I can just go and download it right now, and it will help me. Well, I know that most, you know, I trust right. the and everyone here's intelligence and ability to use the products as an equal of me. So, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, you didn't actually have a choice in that because the previous one who originally created it released it as open source, and your license <laughs> required you to do it. So you're welcome. Mm-hmm. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. We will destroy them. We will crush them. We will take over their empire. Read the manual, will you? And we will make oh, them read, read the manual. 